0: Then blended to perfection and cold-pressed to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all-beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.
1: If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is,
0: I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there.
1: Because, if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak.
2: Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support.
1: Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.
3: There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. <laughs>
2: That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? So, Clyde Barrow, they said had a bit of a psychic impulse, right? Kind of had like, he had a cop sense. Sixth sense, yeah. Yeah, like Spider-Man. Well, they said that's kind of how he got them out of a bunch of mixes, that he would like, he would have like a hunch that... Something hanky was going on, and he'd get out of there. Like Spider-Ham.
1: <laughs> I just watched it. I'm the glad, Spider-Verse,
2: and I love Spider-Ham. I'm just glad you have one Spider-Man reference, <laughs> which is great. But the thing is that Clyde Barrow, at the same time, was also not very smart. No. Right? Uh. So he was not smart, but he was psychically smart. Does that mean... That the mentally handicapped could possibly be the most psychic group of people in the world, look, and we don't know. Look at Professor Xavier. Of no, course, he was, was not mentally smart. handicapped.
1: Professor Xavier was brilliant. He ran a school. He had a wheelchair, <laughs> no. which is totally no. fine,
2: by the way.
1: No. You totally what are we talking ruined about? everything. You ruined your
2: whole career for a thing that is wrong. <laughs> what is
1: happening? We don't ask, no one answered my question, though. I think no. Okay. All right. (laughs) I don't know. No, nonetheless, everyone is handy capable. That's what I say. This is the last podcast on the left. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hello. And we have Henry Zabrowski as well. Hungry Jack Henry Zabrowski, Nate. Yeah, you're Hungry Jack Henry Zabrowski? I'm home of the Whopper.
2: It's
1: me, <laughs> <laughs> the it sounds like you farted on a cheeseburger and sold it to customers.
2: I definitely farted in my pants just now. know.
1: I mean, <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, yeah, we're in an enclosed space. Yeah, Thank we're you. in
2: an enclosed space in Sydney, Australia. We're we're recording Bonnie and Clyde
4: Part Three
1: from a studio in Sydney. Yes, it's absolutely beautiful. We're looking out of this gorgeous streets of Sydney. Everyone looks great, handsome bodies. You know, this is a, you know a place that is. It's, it's really, we're, we're very comfortable here because all the music is made for middle-aged white men. It really is. So we actually feel right at home.
4: I think we're just going to places where middle-aged white men hang out. Mm-hmm. Ah, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, that is why no one else is there. Yeah. I understand. Well, speaking of, well, no, no there's really no segue here. Um, we are on to part three of Bonnie and Clyde. The tale continues. This is when this shit gets faux real yeah
4: so when we last left Bonnie and Clyde they just left Joplin Missouri after their first real shootout with the cops the pictures that made them famous had been released to the world and Buck and Blanche Barrow were now a permanent part of the gang because of their involvement in the murders in Joplin
2: that's how we got Mary and Travis to work with us for so long is because (laughs) they are sort of a party to our
1: secret crimes interesting well technically doesn't that mean they can blackmail us whenever they want oh fuck yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh fuck (laughs) Well, as a result of
4: those actions, the Barrow Gang was about to enter one of the most miserable and difficult times of their very short lives. Mm. Gone were the days when they could stay at a motor court wearing clothes that were freshly dry cleaned every day.
2: Yeah, we're we're past the rock star area. We are now into Vince Neal um, <laughs> 240 pounds in the, the, on the floor of a La Quinta with a needle hanging out of his arm. Alright,
1: we're in sex, ta- sex tape Vince Neal territory. Hey, that was a new peak for him.
2: Was it? Yeah, you heard him fucking stick it. <laughs> if you heard him stick it, he had enough juice to at least make it to
4: come. You know what I mean? Well, now, Bonnie Clyde W BAD, Blanche and Buck slept in the car and bathed in muddy streams, eating mostly canned food like Vienna sausages. Oh, which, don't do I, I will poo-poo Vienna Whoa! sausages if it's the only thing you're eating. For those of you who don't know what Vienna sausages are, they are horrible-tasting tiny weenies in a can. That's what we're all right now. <laughs> yeah, we
2: really are. I'm gonna.
1: I'll. I'll support them. I'll support them.
2: I like Spam, and I like. I'm. Uh, I'm not gonna say I like Vienna sausages, but if it was like between eating Vienna sausages and like saving a whole like packet of my cum to eat for the protein I eat the Vienna sausages no one thinks about that when you're like starving and naked and afraid, where if you just eat your cum
1: that's protein, wow well, I don't know if that really no, I don't know if that works
4: I don't know, I'm not sure Furthermore, the dust bowl was far from over. Even a small dust storm encountered while driving in a car was enough to fill a person's mouth with dirt. And that's with the windows up. And the Barrow gang was driving through those dust storms on a regular basis. Damn. Now, other criminals on the run during this time had safe houses when things got hot. But those were the big timers. Despite Bonnie and Clyde's celebrity status, they didn't really know any other criminals outside of West Dallas
2: yet. No, oh. they needed to know real indoctrinated criminals like senators and cops <laughs> right. that could actually help you. That's where they if it was all the dirty money that the rest of them would spread around. you tip mm. off the cops in order to protect the safe house for you, mm. and then you have a place to go where Bonnie and Clyde were doing it the DIY way, right. which is like what we've learned is that, you know, you do it hard for really, you do it the hard way. Yeah, for many
1: years. Right. It sucks. And yeah. then no one even cares. <laughs> uh, no, that is really interesting though With them. when it comes to the safe houses. I've been playing a lot of Division 2 and I gotta say, they need to set up those safe houses so they can fast travel. Specifically, <laughs> if there's a dust storm they're just going to want to hit fast travel to kind of avoid the whole thing.
4: Well, the closest Bonnie and Clyde could come was when they found someone either sympathetic or starstruck enough to let them stay at their house. But the gang never stayed longer than a night because the reward for their capture just
2: kept getting bigger. Do you think that if we just came to Australia and went through the Outback and just showed up and she's been like, we're the Lost Podcast Gang. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, Marcus Goblin Feet Parks, <laughs> and this is Kissel Long Beer Kissel. <laughs> Me, I'm Henry Brain of the Gang. Sabrowski. Oh, you're the Brain of the Gang. Oh, yeah. Wow, you gotta let us stay. And you're like, oh, my word.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, it seemed like damn near every day the Barrow Gang had to steal a new car, especially since there was now five of them on the run together. Mm. After two weeks crammed in one car, though, the gang figured it was time to steal a second car and form a small caravan. Okay. So, in Ruston, Louisiana, the Barrow Gang roared into town and WD hopped out and stole a car belonging to a mortician named Dillard Darby, <laughs> who was so memorably played by Gene Wilder in the 1967 movie. I was so heartened to learn that this was real. Yeah. Yeah. I was too. I loved it. Yeah, it was uh, Gene Wilder's first role was playing this guy. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, sorta like the movie, Darby and his friend, a local radio celebrity named Sophia Stone. Oh,
2: she was the fart woman of Middle Texas. <laughs> I
1: love the fart woman of Middle always, Texas. It would
2: ever somebody say be like, oh, it's look, it turns out it's gonna rain on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> in the original shock shock.
1: Wow, she's the best.
4: (laughs) Well, Darby and Stone saw the whole thing happen, so they hopped in Sophia's car and chased after the Barrow gang.
1: So they are ballsy, man.
4: But it wasn't long before Clyde, who was already a little irritated that the operation hadn't gone smoothly, turned around and started following them. He eventually caught up.
2: Yeah, he's a short, angry man, (laughs) which I I don't mean I don't understand. I certainly have never done anything purposefully vengeful on the road because of my just uh, my blood pressure.
1: No, you're not going to end up like Michael Douglas in the movie Falling Down, shooting up a fast food restaurant because the burger isn't right. You're not going to do that.
4: (laughs) No, the encounter wasn't quite as cute as it was portrayed in the movie. After Clyde forced Darby and Sophia off the road and asked why they were following him, Darby said he was following him because they stole his car. Yeah! In response, Clyde pistol whipped Darby yeah. and forced him and Sophia into the car the Barrow gang was driving because WD had already taken off in Diller Darby's
2: car at this point. Yeah, because now he's split up. Yeah. You remember WD. How old is WD at this point? 16. So he's a child. Yeah. And they are now they all are now crammed together and are going 90 miles per hour through the fucking dust fields. Wow. Away from just nowhere.
1: From nowhere to nowhere. I mean, <laughs> honestly, this is the greatest generation. I mean, the teen- these guys are babies. Yeah. We couldn't pull this stuff off.
4: So the new hostages squeezed into the front with Bonnie and Clyde because the gang had so many guns <laughs> in the back seat from a recent armory burglary that only Buck and Blanche could fit in the back.
2: I mean, I mean, I guess we could put a blanket over them or something. Actually, let them just beat out in the open.
1: Let people see. <laughs> yes, just sleeping on a bunch of guns in the back of a car that you just stole. I get the excitement factor of this.
4: Now, at first, Stone and Darby were terrified. The gang was filthy, smelly, and surly from being on the road for pretty much two weeks straight. And Buck was getting pretty casual with suggestions that maybe the gang should just kill the hostages.
2: This must be fucking insane. Yeah. You're yeah. just like... <laughs> 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 90
4: miles an hour with some 22-year-old
2: psychopath just jabbering on at Maybe you. we should kill him. Maybe we should kill him now. <laughs> maybe we should kill him tonight. And it's like bouncing up and down going 90 miles an hour where yeah. like Clyde's like, God damn it, God damn it.
1: <laughs> filthy, smelly, and surly is one of the best wayland jennings songs i have ever heard and i love it i stand by it but clyde
4: calmed down the situation by telling the hostages that yes you have been kidnapped by the infamous bonnie and clyde but you'll be just fine just so long as you don't act a fool okay and that is when bonnie started making small talk asking the hostages what they did for a living when darby told her that he was a mortician Bonnie laughed and asked if he'd like to be the official embalmer of Bonnie and Clyde when they were killed. That was so much fun.
2: (laughs) That is amazing. You could just do that then.
4: She just hit me
2: like, well, maybe come around and see me sometime when I'm a corpse.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So when the Barrow Gang finally let the hostages go in Waldo, Arkansas, everyone was pretty much friends. And Clyde even gave Darby five bucks to make up
1: for the pistol weapon. How many people did they... really is it in the nineteen? Was this the thirties? This is nineteen thirty-three. How 34. is it that to make friends you just had to kidnap someone and it would all work out? This is not the first time, right? That, no. that Bonnie and Clyde kidnapped someone, kidnapped someone, and afterwards the kidnappers were like, "Can we stay?" Nor was it the last.
2: Wow. No, it's all like the movie. I think it was Collateral. With the taxi driver, is that with Tom Cruise? Could where be. he gets going, the taxi driver, things go, and they end up on a hit together, or they end up kind of like friends. There are many movies like this <laughs> where they just end up like they get on it. But think about this you come from pure poverty, you are in a hard, scrabble life in the middle of the Dust Bowl. This kind of shit. Is incredibly exciting. Yeah, you're with Bonnie and Clyde. Right. Who, are at all of you, this point, you've just heard, seen newsreels about this this fucking sexy gang that all they do, they do is fuck, rob, and murder. Right. That's it. And then all of a sudden, you're a part of their story. It's an Amer. It, this is an American legend in the making. But Clyde doing these things, which I really like, is because it's not forced. He is not doing things out of some kind of like some other outside pressure. It's weird. He is the character that he is embodying.
1: Yeah, and if you're the one who is kidnapped, technically you get got to get out of jail free card so you get to go on all the fun antics, but then you can be like, they kidnapped me, officer! <laughs> and, they'd be like, and then you're also a hero. Well,
4: meanwhile, W.D.
1: had disappeared.
4: He'd somehow got lost in the shuffle after the Darby kidnapping, and Bonnie and Clyde had no idea where he'd gone. But they figured if he was heading anywhere, it was West Dallas. Mm. So they headed back home to leave a message that W.D. should... Should sit tight and wait for them to come back to West Dallas so they can pick them up. But even though WD was no longer around, the gang still had to feed themselves. So Clyde and Buck planned a nice, straightforward bank robbery on May 11th. Oh, and I bet you um, it went without a hitch. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah and they got all of got They got crazy money and everything was good.
1: But I mean, they just have to feed themselves. So wouldn't they just cut out the middleman, which is the money in that transaction, and just go rob a restaurant? They did that plenty as well. But okay. they also.
4: Wanted some of the glory. And it's also like, you got to have some purpose in life. And And if you're a criminal and if you're, you know, if you've set yourself up with this outlaw lifestyle, Mm -hmm. then that's your purpose. That's why you wake up in the morning. You are a bank robber. That is your job. So they go back to work. Yeah. The plan was to break into a bank, hide, and wait until the bank opened in the morning. Oh, you pull the BTK. Yeah. Then when the clerks arrive for work, the Barrow boys... Pull out their gums. They got the drop. They got the drop on them. And then Bonnie and Blanche would be outside waiting in the getaway car. Easy yeah. peasy. This yeah.
1: is what this is what happened on Saved by the Bell when they got stuck in the mall overnight. <laughs> yes, they just hung out in the camping equipment uh, supply store.
2: But extra right. You're hanging out in the bank at night. You grab a couple of mops. You see that, like maybe, like use a little bit of clean. You start cleaning it. Clean the bathrooms, right? Restock a lot of the shelves and snack room. All of a sudden, you're working at the bank, (laughs) making money on top of money. That's good.
4: That's a good idea. But when the morning came, Buck and Clyde discovered they should have spent a little bit of time searching the bank for stray weapons. As soon as they popped out of their hidey holes, the clerk grabbed a nearby shotgun
2: and just started firing. <laughs> and the whole thing was lead lined. <laughs> so as soon as you show up, you're like, he's just immediately RoboCop of Tellers. He's RoboTeller, <laughs> ready to kill
4: you. Yeah, they had no choice but to run. And they ran out of the building into the car where Bonnie and Blanche were waiting as a pissed off Teller with a shotgun chased after.
1: Oh, man. They needed, what was it, Elvin and the Chipmunks? Theodore. Theodore. No, Theodore was the cute one. Talking about
4: t- uh, yeah, you're talking about uh, Alvin. Uh, no, no, Alvin's not the leader. You're thinking about the
1: tall one, the smart one, um, Dave R- Rupert. Oh, no, it was it was Alvin <laughs> Theodore, and not Rupert. Um, I think Theod- he went. Didn't he just go by cunt? No, he did not. <laughs> no, he did not. He was. Everyone's Simon. Yelling. Simon! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes! Simon. By the way, a road manager on this tour is named Simon, and he is a wonderful man. Oh, yeah. He's a yes. peach. He's yes. a
2: real... We are living Wayne's World 2 right now. We are with an Australian roadie, and he's just telling us stories about Judas Priest oh, and all the
1: shit. It's fun. You can't even... It, the stories are incredible. But they needed a Simon. They needed a brain mm-hmm. in the group. They did not have it. Ah. After the
4: uh, teller chased him out with the
1: shotgun... That's when the townsfolk joined it. Get, oh
3: my. get, 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 get the robbers, get the robbers.
1: That's got to be so exciting again. Wow. What a fun day to be a townfolk. Well, one guy hurled a big piece of wood in the road to try to block the path <laughs> of, of the Barrow Gang,
4: while another guy jumped on the hood of the car and only let go after Bonnie fired a few warning shots through the window. Because Bonnie had no desire to murder, nor did Bonnie ever murder anyone, no matter what some of the shitty movies might say.
2: Okay. She just wanted money. She wanted money, and she wanted to live the lifestyle always, and she wanted to love Clyde, and they wanted to live a life of freedom outside of what they were born into and what they find. Nothing but trouble. We did this last episode, too. Unfortunately, it's just always right there. It is. Of
4: course it is. But when Bonnie fired the warning shots, that's when the rest of the townsfolk opened fire Mm. Mm. and when the Barrow gang fired back two women Doris Minor and Ethel Jones they both got wounded although not terribly wounded yeah people are still getting hurt well, the only things to die that day were a couple of pigs. No, who were crossing the road and having to be directly in the path of the fast-moving barrow gang. Mate. Oh my God! Were Can
1: they you imagine hands? how <laughs> big that explosion would have been? A pork, <laughs> bacon um, rain. Okay, but the whole thing. Okay, so this is going back to my previous point. The, they're looking for food, steal the pigs. <laughs> I just don't get it.
4: But even though that plan was a disaster, the gang tried the exact same thing at a different bank a week later. But that time, they did relatively okay. They got 1600 bucks, oh. although $700 of that was in big-ass silver dollars, mm. which were later given to Cumi Barrow.
2: That's a nice gift for a mom, though. It's great. Mm-hmm. My mom loves shit like coins and plates and all that kind of garbage. She likes commemorative whatever, you know what I mean? I got her a little boat once. Mm-hmm. And just sit somewhere. My mom has so many tchotchkes. Yeah.
1: My yeah. mom's big on tchotchkes as well. You it
2: just—it looks like a, it's a nervous home.
1: <laughs> and because you bought them a pool, technically you also got her a pool boy, yes. <laughs> which is really nice for yes. her to watch them work on the pool. Mm, slack, slack backs. <laughs> yeah.
4: Meanwhile, a development had occurred in the case of Raymond Hamilton. Remember, Raymond Hamilton was a very early member of the Barrow Gang. Hamilton had just been found guilty of the murder of John Butcher. Remember, the jeweler who was the first guy, first guy to die as a result of the mm-hmm. Barrow Gang's actions. But instead of the chair, Raymond had somehow come out with a 99-year prison sentence. Hmm. What that meant was that instead of going to death row, Hamilton was now on his way to where else but Eastham Prison Farm. <gasps> Bloody ham! And with that, Clyde had better reason than ever to organize his long-planned prison break.
2: Honestly, dude, it's 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 the it's the arc of this whole story. Right? Clyde is obsessed with this idea for forever. It never goes away. Uh-huh. He knows it. He because it's the fulfillment of his pure Robin Hood version. Of his reality. Right. Where he's being like, this is, this way, if I can get some of these boys out of this prison, it's almost in a psychological way, erases for him all the other crimes and sins he's committed, where he's like, but I did one good thing in this life. But, as always, an Easton prison break was going to take preparation
4: and men. The gang had finally gotten word that W.D. had shown back up in West Dallas after going God knows where. Mm. So Bonnie and Clyde headed down to pick him up while Blanche and Buck went to Oklahoma to visit Blanche's father. But after picking up W.D. and heading back up north... Disaster struck. Oh no. While driving through the town of Wellington, Texas, Clyde, driving 70 miles per hour in the pitch dark, missed a detour sign, drove straight through a wooden construction barricade, and flew
2: into the air. Basically what they said was that this was a part of this was a part of the world where the idea of driving fast at night was the dumbest shit right to do Fine. and they said if, if you knew this they say that it was a it, it created an optical illusion it was so flat that you couldn't even see where the road twisted and turned because it just looked like a fucking line yeah. and you, your eyes couldn't adjust to the depth perception and Clyde who could not drive fifth, <laughs> no he could not he <laughs> he would do a thing that i mean obviously would be truly the end of the barrel gang this is what happened here and it I, it serves as a warning to me yeah. who also loves to drive As fast as humanly possible. When the
4: car finally came crashing down to earth, the car battery exploded and splashed Bonnie's legs with battery acid, which left burns that went deep enough to expose her bones.
1: Expose her bones! (laughs) Oh, man.
2: Hello, I'm the bone slicer. Yeah? (laughs) Oh, look at these lovely bones. Is your name Bonnie? Oh, I wish I could slice your lovely, beautiful white (laughs) It's still attached to me, see? You wait till I'm a corpse like another guy, but he's got to get at me (laughs) fast. You're quite the flirt, Bonnie. (laughs) Well, Clyde
4: carried Bonnie to a nearby farmhouse where her legs were saved only when the farmer's daughter covered the burns with a salve mixed with baking powder. Hmm. See, Clyde refused to let the farmer go get a doctor, essentially saying that if she dies...
1: She dies. Like Avendrago. <laughs> Ivan Drago. But
2: a part of it, it's true. Because they all said it. Because they had an internal dialogue. They had an agreement. They knew that it did. Because hospitals meant prison. Mm. Everything would be over. Right. They, and they, both of them, I mean, truly in romantic fashion, wanted to die next to each other. If one was going to die, the I mean, Clyde would not have died. <laughs> no. <laughs> Clyde, <laughs> Clyde understood. That's yeah. on some level that he was going to end up... He was going to shoot again. Mm. He was going to make love again. But but Bonnie had always said if Clyde died, she'd immediately die afterwards. Mm. Okay. But this is a fucking gruesome. Injury. Yeah, yeah, it sounds I mean, this absolutely
4: is b-
1: brutal. It's battery acid.
4: It's battery acid. that I mean, it, think how much it has to burn through to make the leg show. I mean, that is inches of flesh now, that to has be to fair, burn down.
1: To be fair, she's extremely thin. I yeah. don't think the battery acid would get to my bone. <laughs> that's, my, that's my, I have a protection layer of fat. Yeah, you got big legs. Yeah.
2: Right
1: from your grave.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough. I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com/left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest and. Uh, My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P pcom slash LastPod. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow, I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash left. Rules and restrictions may apply.
4: Right from your well the suspicion of these injured newcomers only deepened when Clyde sent WD back to the car to gather all the guns, mm. saying in very plainly in front of his new uh, in front of his new friends, WD,
2: go get the guns. But you know what you do is if you ever say, Hey, like if I ever say Marcus, go get the guns quotation mark fingers. <laughs> That's what you have to do. Legally, that keeps you from committing a crime because you say, I get the guns mm-hmm. with the winky face and quotation fingers. But then it can't legally, be guns. It's
1: going to be like a bunch of pecan pies or something.
2: Exactly. <laughs> legally, it could be anything, but we know it actually is guns.
1: <laughs> 4D chess, Henry Zabrowski. You have it all figured
4: out. So after... Clyde told WD to go get the guns. Someone in the house went and got the law. But Mm -hmm. by the time the law showed up, WD was already back with the guns. So all the law did was provide the Barrow gang with a new car. The gang then took the cops hostage but while they were all driving away together Clyde couldn't help but let the cops know who they were oh ah.
2: man I understand dropping credits it's
1: hard <laughs> to not
4: get another
2: rung on your IMDB page
4: mm-hmm. right right and with that the cops now knew that the infamous Bonnie Parker was seriously hurt with a very specific injury mm. there was now a very clear trail where if Clyde hadn't said anything to those cops if he, he would have said shut the fuck up we're gonna going to drop you off down the road, don't say anything, no one would have known. But now they knew for sure Bonnie
1: Parker has a serious leg injury. Watch (sighs) out for it. So the ego got in the way, much like Dennis Rader, the aforementioned BTK piece of shit that he is. So they just could not. Why do you think that is? Why did they need to let the cops know? Because it's obviously not in their best interest. It is. I truly, I, I, uh, I,
2: you know, with many of my jokes, there's a little bit of truth in them. <laughs> but, I
1: really hope not, actually. Uh, <laughs> with, I, don't even, I think there's, it, Henry is breaks the rule of comedy where there's no truth at all. No. Sure.
2: Yeah, definitely <laughs> not. No. Uh, but I do believe it really is about credit. Yeah. They, they're, at this point, they know they're going to be di- they're no. They know they're going to die. They know they're going to be murdered at some point for their crimes in the middle of something. They're not going out. They're not going to be taken alive no matter what. They want the credit. They're building a legend. They do believe, in some way, shape, or form, they have this. I I think that it's it's a delusion that we'll get so famous, like something will happen. And the people will t- it'll almost flip for us. We will become such a legend that we'll almost become untouchable. That eventually our presence will make people so f- scared of us immediately mm-hmm. that no one will deal with us. No one will try to stop us. And that their their long game was that Bonnie kept saying like, why don't we? Just Disappear. We'll go and take the money that we get. We'll get a big score mm-hmm. and then we'll disappear up to Montana. But it was never going to be like that.
1: No. That's what happened with Johnny Depp and this Hollywood vampires band. <laughs> Just go. Come Just on. stop. Dude. I think it was also uh, partly some small
4: form of payment. Like it has to. All of this has to be worth something. Mm-hmm. Like Bonnie is damn near dead. They just got into a car wreck. Everyone's all fucked up. Everyone's filthy. They've got no money. They're they run out of. They spend money as soon as they steal it. So a little bit of credit is. Almost payment. It's like what it's, they a got. Bit of, it's all they got. It's pride. Yeah, it's, of You know when
1: you broke, pride is all you got. I mean, as performers who worked for free for the vast majority of our career still for the first fifteen years of our careers, the applause was the reward. Well,
2: mm-hmm. that's why you did it, and it, I. There, that's what this whole thing was about. Is about going past where you were born. It was about making right. a difference. Making well, not making a difference, but making, making a fucking go for it. Dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. they definitely made a difference. Well, when the
4: gang finally met back up with Buck and Blanche outside of Sayre, Oklahoma, which is where they met just down the road from where my family's ranch was at the time. Really? My father was born in Sayre, Oklahoma. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The cops (laughs) were still in tow. But although Buck again suggested maybe we ought to just kill him. Clyde insisted on letting the cops live because the cops had cradled Bonnie's head all the way to Sarah. They had been very kind to, to Bonnie. Oh, that's nice. So they handcuffed the cops to a tree and just drove off. Okay, that's kind of
1: cute, actually.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's another moment of why the, the Warren Beatty movie was like kind of close in tone if they weren't also just total shitheads. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well,
4: Bonnie's leg injury, however, would prove to be a permanent burden for the gang. Mm. See, despite Clyde's cruel Ivan Drago-like statement immediately after the accident, Clyde wouldn't leave Bonnie's side while she was recovering. Mm. That's because even though the two of them regularly, they got into fistfights, they got into screaming matches that would curl your fucking hair, they still loved each other. Or, maybe more accurately, they were unhealthfully
1: codependent on each other. Well, I mean absolutely. I also love that idea for a hair salon. If you if you really could see an argument that could curl your hair, where you just go in and it's just two people screaming at each other. You watch it as entertainment, and then you walk out with a beautiful fro.
2: Yeah, you've never been to Scream It, bitch. I
1: never been to. No, I didn't know that. I scream It, bitch
2: is one of the most incredible holistic hair cutting service I've ever had. You see how much more hair I've had I, recently? I do. Yeah. I go to Scream It, bitch, and Deborah, she, I'm like, <laughs> what? Press back by her going like, you're yeah, short, you're yeah, short, you piece of shit. I
4: love it. So while Bonnie was convalescent from a serious burn injury that most likely dissolved the tattoo bearing her first husband's name metal it was up to wd and buck to do all the robberies Mm. and one of those in particular showcased just how young and dumb wd actually was and just how truly terrible at the game that buck was but
1: wd didn't even want to be there because he couldn't do the first robbery, yeah, he was forced to steal that damn car. He's
2: Everything, kind of—he's just over his head. He's kind of institutionalized a little bit by them. Like I think he's kind of been—he's getting raised into the business, and also the way they talk about it. Perspective, I think, is interesting. Where Clyde and Bonnie they view it as a job, right. and WD at first it's dangerous, but eventually you start to view it as like. This is my job. I have to learn how to do it. Right now I'm dumb, but one day I'll be as brilliant as our leader, Clyde. I hope not. <laughs> well, the
4: Barrow gang was driving around in a small sedan, and then they needed and they needed something bigger if they were going to comfortably transport Bonnie. So during a grocery store robbery, WD spotted the store's delivery truck outside and, de- and decided that would be perfect, despite the fact that a grocery store delivery truck was slow as hell and extremely conspicuous. It might as well have been the big dog car from <laughs> Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> and even if it wasn't a bad idea in the first place, it became a worse idea when WD got the keys from the store owner and found that the battery was dead. Ah. And still WD didn't give up. He started pushing the truck down the hill so he could pop the clutch. And after going through all that trouble, WD decided as he was driving away in the truck, maybe it's not such a good. Idea after all, so he drove back up the hill and returned to Buck, who was rightly wondering where the fuck WD had gone. Oh, right, this WD, is... no, WD is not a good intern. No, this is
1: like <laughs> if the Scooby Doo gang just started huffing. What is going on here?
4: But now, it was Buck's turn to fuck up. When Great. the two of them took off, Buck was driving too fast and crashed into the back of another car while going over a steep hill. And two cops heard the crash just 50 yards away. So they were on the scene almost immediately. Mm. And Buck, who, if you'll remember, had never been a fan of taking hostages, got out of the car, and brought the shotgun with him. Mm. While WD got out holding a Browning automatic rifle. But W.D. was a terrible shot, so he was pretty much useless. Buck, on the other hand, wasn't. He opened fire and hit Officer Henry Humphrey, who died a few days later. Mm. But the other officer survived and managed to shoot off two of W.D.'s fingers.
2: Oh, that's my fucking jerking off hand, man. man. Wow.
4: Now, after this scene, it perhaps wasn't all that surprising that cops started attaching as many crimes to the Barrow Gang as they could. Because the thing about the Barrow Gang was that they could cover hundreds of miles in a single day. Back right. when this was like, un- it wasn't unheard of. It was just new. That someone could be one day, they could be in Arkansas, and the next, they'd be on in the panhandle of Oklahoma.
1: It's like that new Star Trek that I saw, where they <laughs> could dissolve themselves and go to another place. That's
2: not new in Star Trek. That's very old in Star Trek. <laughs> I don't know. But, but he would relentlessly drive. Again, Clyde Barrows, one ability. Was to drive. It
4: mm-hmm. doesn't
1: sound like he's. he does. He doesn't sound very good at it. No, he no that was,
4: was Buck that got into the car accident. That wasn't Clyde. No,
1: but Clyde, when he jumped over
4: the
2: thing going seventy,
4: isolated in the night, incident.
1: It, it <laughs> was isolated incident. It <laughs> he burned her entire leg off. You're
2: gonna make a mistake, and sometimes b- m- bigger mistakes happen instead of smaller mistakes.
1: This mm. is you explaining why you got into a car crash to Natalie, your wife. <laughs> this
2: is, this <laughs> is literally exactly what. what's gonna happen. Exactly.
4: Here. Well, because the Barrel Gang could show up pretty much anywhere. Anytime there was a robbery or murder with suspects who even kind of looked like the Barrow Gang, the crime would
1: be attached to Bonnie and Clyde. So technically, it would be smart to dress like Bonnie and Clyde, rob a bunch of banks, blame it on Bonnie and Clyde. That's
2: probab- there were probably quite a few people who did that. That's smart. Honestly, you got a, like one skinny guy with a wig on, yeah. a flapper dress, <laughs> with his other like short. You have a lady dressing up as a dude, right? Sure. Super weird, like gender-fluid bank robbery team calling themselves connie and blyde right <laughs> doing that kind of shit start scissoring each other
1: <laughs> well i don't know see now you made it to scissoring once again but no just yeah just straight up call yourself buddy and clyde publicly
4: well for an example of a crime that was attached to the barrow gang that they absolutely did not commit police in crawford county attached a rape to clyde and buck barrow although although they were provably in another state but from then on, all the wanted posters concerning the Barrow Boys mm. listed rape right alongside murder.
1: But now sexual assault, that's the first time we're hearing about that. That wasn't something it that was they were doing. Never, it was never, not even
4: fucking close to what they were doing. Okay.
2: But it was a thing that actually really fucked with the center of the Barrow Gang because when those charges came down, like Buck literally had to be like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it to Blanche. Yeah. And so it, it actually psychologically... It was a, uh, almost a trick of the police. where th- That kind of thing helps fucking fuck with the fabric of the gang
1: sure. itself. Sure, okay.
2: Meanwhile,
4: Bonnie's wounds weren't doing any better. The gang stopped where they could to pick up medical supplies, but since she spent most of her recovery in the backseat of a car... Bonnie's tendons and ligaments healed in a somewhat fetal position. Dude, it's bad news. This shit was like, it gets
2: fucking gruesome, man. man.
4: Yeah, that meant that when the wounds finally healed, Bonnie's leg was permanently curled up, meaning that while
2: she could hop a little, mostly for the rest of her life, Clyde had to carry her around everywhere. Wow. It's such a, this to me is one of the biggest myth-busting things about Bonnie and Clyde, about how the way that when they, when they ended... They were so fucking tore up. We're gonna go mm-hmm. through this. They are, right. I mean, this gets fucking brutal. Yeah. But Bonnie had to be, she was a basket woman. Yeah. They <laughs> had to carry
1: her. Is that the medical term? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Miss Bonnie. You are now a basket woman. So No,
4: they actually WD later said that when Bonnie had to go to the bathroom, either WD or Clyde would have to carry her into the toilet and plop her down on the seat. Yeah, and there's guys that pay for that.
2: Oh, absolutely. Now, you just there's there's a whole custom experience you can do, just be in a, a toilet waiter. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, since Bonnie wasn't doing too
4: well, the gang decided to treat themselves to a couple of nights at a nice motor court in Platt City, Missouri Ooh. next to a grocery store named Slim's Castle and a restaurant
2: called the Red Crown Tavern. Now, this broke... All of their rules, every single one. They had a lot of rules about how they don't stay at any sort of hotel. They don't. They don't appear in public. They had been camping out for so long. But I really think because all of their spider senses were going off. Everyone was saying like, "This is a fucking bad idea." And Clyde was like, "No." And I think a part of it is that I a little bit. I think that he thinks if we're going to be killed here, if this is going to happen, I, I just want Bonnie to be in a bed. For a
1: night.
4: like yeah. we want a to, like, good night's sleep
1: before the murder. Honestly. If they're going to get killed. I mean, sure. Sure.
4: Well, it turned yep. out that uh, Buck's instinct about how we should not be fucking doing this, that was the right one to follow. Because <sighs> once again, it was the little things that gave away the Barrow Gang.
3: Mm.
4: And as I said, it was well known that Bonnie was injured. And not everyone was a fan of Bonnie and Clyde. See, the Barrow Gang was just throwing used bandages out the window, or they were leaving them at campsites. Oh,
2: God. You remember when I cut off my thumb? Yeah. I top I do. My thumb? The gore filled shit, I just left Ugh. in place because I had to travel for work. <laughs> I was doing all these things. I was traveling. I was, I was shooting shit. I literally had a, the hotels just filled with my fucking pus stamps. Yeah, yeah that was just
1: dis- what were you doing? Cutting an onion or something?
2: Cutting in garlic. Yeah, screaming yeah. about Ken. Yeah.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Our manager.
4: Yeah, and think about it. Th- like, and uh-huh. these are bandages. Bandages, huge a huge wound on Bonnie's leg, on a festering pus filled burn. <laughs> oh, all right, and they're just throwing them out the window. They're leaving them at campsites, and so when people would find these bandages, they'd call up the cops and say, like, "Hey, I think Bonnie and Clyde were here. We found a bunch of festering, bloody bandages." Wait well, a
2: second. Before we, oh, now I'm a Texas Ranger. Let me take a look at these now, because this could variably be ketchup. So let me give it a try. <laughs> oh. That is pus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cut to the homeless guy from Dennis the Menace just wearing it as a hat.
4: (laughs) So when a farmer in Iowa, not too far away from Platt City, reported finding some bandages, it suddenly wasn't so strange to think that Bonnie and Clyde were in the area. That's red flag number one. Okay. Furthermore, the Red Crown Tavern, which was right next to the motor court where the Barrow Gang had decided to rest, was unbeknownst to the gang a popular hangout for both local police and the state highway
2: patrol. Fucking what a boner <laughs> move, dude. That's it's great. just the worst of all of it. You walked in, they just it's literally plainclothes cops mm-hmm. just sitting in a bar right. watching Bonnie and Clyde <laughs> just roll in, and they're all like tiptoeing
1: outside being like, they ain't never gonna see us. They're just watching them. That know? is hilarious.
4: And then Blanche walked into the office of the motor court wearing very expensive highfalutin riding pants Oh she had bought but it was like this was a time when like a woman walking in wearing fancy pants was a Town scandal. Everyone's like, I saw a woman wearing jaw <gasps> over at the motor court. And so it started getting around. And then it started getting around even more when this woman who was wearing these very expensive clothes was paying in loose change that the barrow gang had stolen from a bubblegum machine. That's how that's how broke they were. They were robbing bubble gum machines.
2: They that- went to garbage pail kids level crime. <laughs> right.
4: All right. And the center came when Clyde taped up all the windows of their cabin with newspaper.
2: That's so smart. <laughs> Honestly, you got to do it sometimes in a hotel because they have like flimsy curtains and you're trying to sleep. You got to cover them with trash bags. I so. I don't I am guilty of it. I'm sure. I think all of us are. Blanche was also buying meals for five and she was seen buying bandages. See, all you got to say is like, nah, I ain't buying for a family. I'm buying for me. I'm trying to get real fat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> No, so, I, I openly lie about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for yes. sure. So word
4: finally got around to the sheriff, and the sheriff surmised that most likely the Barrow Gang was hiding out in Platte City. Uh-oh. Now, up to this point, the Barrow Gang hadn't ever faced any real opposition. Every time they'd gotten into a shootout before, it had always been with barely trained local cops mm-hmm. who had no idea what they were walking into. Hmm. But this time, law enforcement was ready. They got themselves some BARs to match the now-trademark Barrow firepower, and when it came time to raid the motor court, Jackson County Sheriff Tom Bash showed up with a posse of 13, Mm. shields, and an armored car. Yeah, dude, they're
2: rolling in deep.
4: Yeah. When the cops finally commenced the raid, they found that the gang had split into two separate cabins. So the cops approached the cabins and called out to tell the Barrow gang, Give up! You're surrounded! The Barrow gang responded, by opening fire, dude.
2: I mean, it's fucking. It's hard because your back's against the wall, yeah. and they know it. They don't come out. They don't talk. They don't hide. They don't negotiate. It's just literally. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ooh, I wish I was surrounded by Uber Eats drivers. That'd be fun.
2: (laughs) Now, the shields were supposed to protect the
4: men from any and all BAR bullets, and they sort of did. But the BARs were so powerful that the cops were knocked back on their ass with the power of a fire hose every time one of the bullets connected. So while Clyde and Buck were laying down covering fire from the two different cabins, WD went to the garage in the cabin that he was sharing with Bonnie and Clyde and opened the garage door so they could all escape. That's when they discovered the cops had brought an armored car. Oh, my. So Clyde ran to the garage as well and opened fire. Turned out the armored car was actually more useless than the shields. Clyde's bullets popped through the metal plating and wounded the driver in both legs. So the driver said, Fuck this, and he got out of there, which <laughs> cleared the way for the Barrow gang to escape. Because
2: you put the weakest dude inside as the driver of the armored car because you think that's that's where Master Blaster goes because yes. he's gonna sit in a little thing and be like, eh, no one gonna get to me, I'm the safest man in the world, <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, damn please, <laughs> oh. you gotta fucking back out of there. But the thing is that if he had not, they would have fucking just killed. He would have killed him. He just left the car as a fucking obstacle, but then gave him a window. And that's all Clyde needs, because once you go short, you don't abort. You get (laughs) out out of there.
4: (laughs) Uh As I said, Buck and Blanche had been staying in a different cabin from Bonnie and Clyde. So they had to run across an open area with no cover to join Bonnie, Clyde, and WD in the getaway car. But as they were running, Buck was shot in the head. Whoa! The bullet entered his temple and exited out his forehead, taking part of his skull and exposing his brain. And yet, Buck did not die. What? How did he die? He did drop to the ground. I hope so. But Blanche, who was only 90 pounds from the malnutrition of being on the road for weeks at a time, they were all malnourished. She mustered up the strength to drag him to the car under fire, and she got him inside. Your husband just had a
2: fucking quarter of his face blown off. But you know, it's also it's interesting to show just how hard it is to kill the human ape. Yeah. We are very protected. Your skull's really strong. It's difficult to blow it up so it took out a chunk of his fucking right. brain
1: and he was still alive so yeah. this is the jfk jackie o moment mm-hmm. of the story mm-hmm.
4: okay so as soon as buck was in clyde hit the gas and sped away under a hail of bullets as blanche shielded buck in the back seat but just before they were out of range a bullet shattered the back windshield and blanche's eyes were filled with
2: shards uh, of uh, glass uh, could have done
3: without that sir but
4: although the Barrel gang had gotten away, their first ever real even gunfight had resulted in one near fatal head wound and a serious eye injury. While the only wound the cop suffered was from friendly fire and the guy who got shot in the
1: legs. Well, the friendly fire thing is, oh, never get in a circle. Yeah. When you're about to shoot, because <laughs> you'll end up shooting your best butt.
2: And that guy would go on to say, I was shot by the barrel gang and I lived. And it's like, you were shot by your buddy, Fred. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that, that his buddy,
4: Fred, didn't say, like, they let him have it for a long time because that was his favorite story. It's like, yeah, I got this injury back when I took down Bonnie and Clyde in Platte City back in 34. And they're like, Fred shot you. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Well, stupidly though, the Barrows hadn't kept their car full of gas, so they needed a fill-up. But when they pulled into a service station, the attendant was met with Buck, brains fully visible, (laughs) vomiting loudly out of the car, covered in blood, while Blanche Blanche screamed about her
2: eyes in the back. (laughs) Uh,
1: So you guys want? uh, Did you guys want unleaded or um, like what do you guys you want like a?
2: You guys got them Slim Jims the
1: space ones.
4: So the Barrows moved on to the next station where they managed to calm down enough to get bandages, aspirin, and hydrogen peroxide, which they poured
2: directly into Buck's head hole. Honestly, dude. He this was down on the like, ground. The way they sh- they talked about it is that he was on the ground. His brain's completely visible, and his eyes are, like, rolling back, and he's just like, ha, huh, huh. And they're like, we got to clean this. What do I do? They go get the peroxide, and they're just like... Should we soak a shirt with it and pad it? No. No. Why would you do <laughs> and that? And they just fill his head with it. They just blah, 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 all over him. And
1: what does that feel like? Because uh, it's going right oh, in your brain. Uh, and he's just like, oh, oh, oh. this <laughs> is how Jeffrey Dahmer tried to make zombies. <laughs> this is not medicine.
4: Well, no, it sounds dumb, but doctors later said that this probably saved Buck's life, at least for a little while. It prolonged his life. Misery. Yeah. Pro- yeah. yeah prolonged his life because it kept infection from taking hold. Okay. But it was obvious to even the Barrows that Buck was not going to live long. Yeah,
1: what oh. was the first fucking clue? <laughs> when you could see him thinking?
4: <laughs> so they pulled off the road near Des Moines and unloaded into an abandoned amusement park that had closed as a result of the Depression, a place called Dexfield Park. I think oh. that is truly the Depression. Yeah. The yeah. Depression
2: literally killed... Amusement. That's
4: sad. <laughs> yeah. They all unloaded and they waited for Buck to die in peace. Amazingly though. Just staring at him? Yeah, just kind of staring like because they didn't want him to die in a car. They wanted him to die in a nice field in nature. Okay. You know, like it yeah. was it was That's a nice. sweet it was a sweet gesture. Okay. Yeah, they
2: wanted to put him by the teacups ride. <laughs> so they laid him down and it's him just like, oh, oh. Right. <laughs> ah. And they're just like what if we just, like, no, <laughs> let him die natural? <laughs> <laughs> but Buck was still coherent
4: enough to request fried chicken. Yep, He wanted a last meal. So Clyde <laughs> went into town and got him a last meal. But still, even after the fried chicken, Buck was.
1: Did not die. Well, that's all he gets. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. is great.
2: I actually can you go get me some ice cream now? <clears throat> My ice cream is really good. Can you go get me an, a newspaper? and actually- you get me, um, I need a pair of new headphones and, know, uh, <laughs> maybe go get me a new iPod. that would be kind of fun. Something fun. Something like that. Actually, if you could go get me the extended cut of the wire. <laughs>
4: And as he lay there dying, he had to sit and listen to WD as WD sat there and poured his heart out saying he decided the outlaw life just wasn't for him. Oh, Oh,
2: yeah? yeah? Yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah. So this is a lot for you, WD? (laughs)
4: Yeah, WD's saying, I'm going as soon as as I can. I'm going back to West Dallas. Meanwhile, Blanche was still just sitting there just bleeding from her eyes.
3: eyes, eyes. (laughs) Because her eyes were
4: still filled with tiny pieces of glass. The best they could do was try to pluck the larger pieces Out
2: with tweezers, like Bonnie would sit there, like, "All right, darling, just hold still a second You think you got (laughs) it? You
1: think you got it?
2: Yeah, this is the last one. Yeah, quotation marks. But then the best part about when they're half blind, they can't see the quotation marks. Mm Ah, they
1: all ended up looking like Cenobites. Yeah, from Hellraiser.
2: Yeah, dude. And the whole time, a screech owl
4: had set up camp next to their car and wouldn't stop swooping and screeching, screeching
2: and swooping for the entire time they were there waiting for Buck to die. They were a. I think the term is a mess.
0: Yeah, at this point, yeah. Fluffy bread, fresh tortillas, classic burger buns, and so many carbs. Carb fear is real, but Hero Bread makes healthier versions of the carb-heavy favorites we love the most. We're talking fewer calories, zero to two grams net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and seriously great taste. Plus more of the dietary fiber and protein you want. No compromise. Don't skip out on your favorites. Just use Hero Bread. Get 10% off your order at Hero.co with code HERO10 at checkout. That's HERO10 at H-E-R-O.co.
4: Right from your grave. Now, predictably, the shootout in Platte City had been big news. So when a farmhand found some bloody bandages out in Dexfield Park while picking blackberries, he told... The night watchman.
1: When I was out getting my berry run, mm-hmm.
2: I happened to see the owls speak to me. <laughs>
1: the owl and, speak to you?
2: Yeah, the owls told me, hmm, here's a bunch of bad guys, oh, but they could see their brains.
1: <laughs> You're a genius, dumb man. And the night watchman,
4: of course, told the sheriff. And within hours, the local cops had put together another posse to take down the barrel gang. There is right. not a moment's rest for them.
1: Posse number two.
4: But this time... The townsfolk joined in. Hey man, you gotta entertain the people. Yeah. yeah and that included I guess. a dentist named Herschel Keller who brought his own Tommy gun.
1: Yeah, dude. <laughs> what is the dentist doing what with a fucking happening? Tommy gun in this cartoon world of ours?
4: All told, there were 50 people ready to descend on the Barrow Gang when it was all said and done, and about half of them were drunk.
1: Oh, okay, good. Well, yeah. that's a, that's the way it should be. When a, if you got a rage-filled town folk crowd, at least half have to be drunk. Well, I mean, to the uh, sheriff's
4: credit, he did actually go through the crowd and pick out people like. You're too drunk. You need to go.
2: You think you're better be seen? I'm the one. I'm the one. that's a part of the posse. You're some kind of administrator, this posse. Oh, you're posse president. But what if
1: that was like the dude? The dude woke up in the morning. was like, I have to stop drinking. I couldn't even kill. I wasn't allowed to shoot at random people.
2: This is my rock bottom.
4: (laughs) And so, at five a.m. on July 24th, the posse attacked. Luckily for the gang, though, they'd all woken up early to make a hot dog breakfast.
1: Yeah! Hot dog breakfast! <laughs> and,
4: it's like, Yeah, it's like being with your single dad yeah. <laughs> for the weekend. And when Clyde heard a branch snap, he and WD grabbed their guns and started firing into the darkness. But again, they were no match for a prepared Ugh. posse. Both Clyde and WD were shot almost immediately. WD getting grazed in the face and Clyde getting seriously shot in the left arm. Shattered mm. the bone. But still... Neither wound was bad enough to take him down.
2: Man, they just don't fucking
4: stop. No, again, the Barrow Gang managed to all get in the car, but they got stuck on a tree stump almost immediately. They all got out and started running down a hill, but while they were running, Buck fainted.
2: Wow, he didn't even die. Yes. Yet. Hold on a second. He got no. up. He is. So you his, can see brain his brain. Is, yes. He is not only. Because he got up and ran faster than we do when we're filled with fried chicken. Yes. <laughs> he ate a whole chicken. Wow, his brain is exposed. Now, does he hold the brain in? I think they put a cork in it. <laughs> they, it was like a chicken bone. It's <laughs> just like stuck in a hole. He gets up. Oh he does his fucking sideways walk, like away from oh the fucking... My God. The, because if you look at the setup of this, they they... They fucked up. Yeah, it was a car in the middle of a completely open field. They had stopped. It was a clearing. There was a clearing, Uh, and so the posse literally completely surrounded them in the forest, and so they were just fucking stuck, dead to rights.
4: Yeah. Wow. But now Clyde had a choice to make. Remember, Bonnie could barely walk. She's still recovering from the burn. So is he carrying her this whole time? Yeah, he's carrying her the whole time. Wow. And so now he was faced with a decision to try to save his dying
2: brother or his lover. Of course. He chose Bonnie. That's what happened. Cue number one crush by Garbage as he <laughs> looks across the thing and sees her. I want time for you. This is where it gets very Leo Decap. do that for me, please. It's a very sensual I song. I want time for you. I'm like... I'm, Me and Shirley Manson have the same nipples. Look, we have the same nipples. Try to look again.
1: Also, we are exposed. There's two. There's two windows that go right to the street where we're recorded, and Henry is now flashing them his breasts. Great. (laughs) We're out here in Wilomba.
2: We're in (laughs)
4: Willomba. But the thing was, is that Buck kept fighting. Even though he was on the ground, laid out, he was laying down in the muck, he had a handgun with him, and he's still firing shots out of the posse. Tell me I have half a brain. (laughs) Tell me I'm half a man. He only stopped when he was shot many more times in the body, including bullets in his chest. But still, Buck
1: did not die. What? Okay. Were the bullets just gummy bears back then? (laughs) How did they survive this? I
2: think it does speak to the quality of bullets. It
1: must. Right.
2: Because they have to just be kind of soft or I mean, honestly, it's just we are bags of meat. It's hard to drain us.
4: Yeah. (sighs) <sighs> yeah, if you if you somehow miss a lot of like the main arteries, and if you're if you have that adrenaline going hard enough, you're gonna keep going.
1: He's like the knight in uh, Life of Brian. No, Monty Python, and yes. Yes. no
4: Monty Python the Holy Grail. Yeah, Monty
1: Python the Holy Grail. Wow.
4: So when the posse finally got to Blanche and Buck, because Blanche was just laying down on the ground next to Buck, she wouldn't leave his side. Okay. They separated Buck from his wife and arrested them both. And as Blanche was being taken away, a photographer from a Des Moines newspaper raised his camera to take a photo. Okay. Now, Blanche was more than half blind from all the glass in her eyes, but she could still make out shapes. So when the photographer raised his camera, she screamed because she thought he was raising a gun to execute her on the spot.
2: And now that's a famous photo. That
4: photo is amazing.
2: Yeah. Because you see her like, it is her mid-scream, and Buck is just essentially coleslaw. Yeah. Right, right. So Blanche was taken to jail,
4: and Buck was taken to the hospital. Buck survived for another five
1: days. This is ridiculous. (laughs) This is absolutely ridiculous. At one
2: point, his brain came out of his head, his entire brain, with a little white flag. Really? And just said, can I go? I'm just a hostage. I didn't rob any of these banks. (laughs) And that was
4: long enough for Kumi Barrow to drive up and say goodbye. And Buck did not die from the gunshot wounds. He died from pneumonia After a surgery to remove the bullet from his chest.
1: Ah, the doctors did it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The doctors did it. Push comes to shove. It was still a malpractice lawsuit waiting (laughs) to happen, huh? Even so, the
4: Barrow family held up on buying a headstone for Buck because they were so sure that Clyde was going to die soon after that they figured it'd be best save money and just buy one for both.
2: Yeah. That actually makes sense. It's always good to think about sales (laughs) at this point in
4: time. That works. Meanwhile, Bonnie Clyde and W. D. had gotten away yet again. Immediately after the shootout, they made their way to a nearby farm, where they were met by 19-year-old Marvel Feller, who was <laughs> up for a 5 a.m. cow milk concession.
1: Oh yeah, how do you milk all those cows with no arms, Marvel? <laughs> yeah, yeah, do it with your feet, in your mouth. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I will get down there, then you spit it into a bucket.
2: <laughs> That's something. but the cows seem to like it better when you swallow. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Marvel said that by that time W D had taken over carrying Bonnie because remember Clyde had been shot in the arm. Oh my God! And Bonnie's nightgown was stained with blood because she'd gotten a buckshot wound to the stomach. Bonnie mm. had been shot as well.
1: So now Bonnie's on a she's her leg is still burned to the bone. Yep. Now she's got a buckshot. Mm-hmm. We got one shot in the arm for our boy Clyde. W W D's been shot in the face. Jesus Christ!
2: But honestly. They did live and escaped. They managed to be completely surrounded by 50 people. Wow. They first escaped from an armored car, a dozen BARs, and then surrounded. These guys, at this point, are living up to the word about them, about how they are unstoppable. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it
1: doesn't seem like the bank robbery is really what's so legendary. It really is just them living this long. It's the escape,
4: yeah. Well, pretty soon, though, the remaining gang was back on the road driving Feller's Plymouth. Again, Bonnie and Clyde had gotten away, but at even greater cost— Buck was dead, mm. Blanche was captured and blind, WD had gotten shot in the face, Clyde's arm was broken by a bullet, and Bonnie was picking Buckshot out of her belly. Yeah, they were fucked up. Yeah. Their clothes had been so soaked with blood that they had to take sheets from the feller house and cut holes for their heads to poke through, and they had to wear those sheets until
2: they could buy new clothes. And wow. the best part now is in these outfits, people get caught. we People already think that
1: we're ghosts. <laughs> yeah, or clansmen. I don't know.
2: Meanwhile, Blanche was
4: getting a visitor in jail. Who else had shown up to personally interrogate Blanche Barrow j edgar hoover get
1: the well you know he's coming you can hear the clacks he comes in he takes off his earrings he's like now nah,
2: things about to get serious and he takes off his wig <laughs> yeah,
1: oh and, my god
4: yeah and uh, blanche later said that j edgar hoover threatened to gouge out her one good eye if she didn't tell him what he wanted to know i don't know really? that's
1: so out of
2: character
4: for him <laughs> yeah he
1: seems like such a sensitive nice guy
4: <laughs> the most that blanche could give him was the name of the mysterious fifth member of the gang, W.D. Jones, who up to that point had been nothing more than an unnamed companion. No one knew who W.D. was this entire time, Hmm. but now fucking
1: everybody knew. J. Edgar Hoover knew.
4: Yeah, J. Edgar Hoover knew. It went out to the press. It was released. Like It is now like it is W.D. Jones, Bonnie Parker, and Clyde Barrow out on the road. All right but after blanche talked she was charged with assault with intent to kill and was sentenced to 10 years in missouri state prison
2: oh actually that's not
4: that bad of a sentence she, considering it, it
2: was vaguely fair for her
4: yeah, yeah. As far as W.D. went, though, he made good on his promise to leave the gang. He got the fuck out of there. After helping Bonnie and Clyde restock their arsenal, W.D. stuck around long enough where they could fend for themselves, then he went back home. He'd eventually get picked up, and he only did 15 years okay. for his part in the Barrow Gang. Not wow. so bad. Yeah. I mean, it is,
2: that is lenient.
4: Yeah. Well, So, yeah. it was back to just Bonnie and Clyde. But after escaping two huge shootouts, Bonnie and Clyde were more famous than ever. Ever mm. so, they were able to easily recruit two prison escapees named Henry Massengill and Doc Potter cool. to fell out the ranks. These
1: names are awesome. But
2: honestly, you hear all this shit about Bonnie and Clyde. They can't be killed by the police. They are, you know, they're they're fucking. They can go anywhere and steal from anybody. And then you meet them, and it's Clyde, right? Who's a one armed, five foot four man who's all hat. Yes, <laughs> and Bonnie and, and Bonnie, who is essentially quado. From Total Recall. <laughs> yeah. She's cute. Sure. They said, honestly, though, by this time, her look said it. But they, with, they said, unfortunately, her time on the road had made her looks completely erode. And by yeah. the time she got to this point, she looked like she was 10 years older than she was.
4: Well, together, the
2: fifth iteration
4: of the Barrow Gang headed out to Oklahoma to rob a bank. And they failed miserably, once again, because of a lack of preparation. Hmm. They arrived to find the entire state on high alert because a massive prison break had set all of Oklahoma on edge. Just read a newspaper. Read a newspaper. Do a little bit of recon. Mm -hmm. Hmm. The gang was chased for four hours, and Clyde had to steal four cars in one day to escape. Finally, they got stuck in the mud in Massengale, he set off alone on foot, but he got taken down by a couple of old ladies with croquet mallets and got sent to prison for 20 years.
2: Wah, wah. Who was
4: that? Who That was Henry Massagill. He was like the new member of the Bonnie. And- this is a guy that came in like thinking, I've hooked up with John Dillinger. I've hooked up with Bo- pretty boy Floyd. Right. Life is going to be fucking on easy street. And then two days later, he gets taken down by a couple of fucking old ladies with pieces of wood. And he got a, <laughs> he
1: got a tougher sentence than W did. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness.
4: Now, Doc Potter got away. But he, like Hale and Hardy, realized that Bonnie and Clyde, they were just hype. Like, that's all Bonnie and Clyde were, was just 100% hype. So, it was back down to Bonnie and Clyde. And it was a good thing for Potter that he left, because the Barrows were about to have another near miss. Mm. See, law enforcement knew that Bonnie and Clyde were still in and out of West Dallas. And Sheriff Smoot Schmid Mm -hmm. hadn't given up on his grudge. All he needed was to know when and where to find him. And on November 22nd, 1933, an informant finally gave Smoot the information he needed. But nobody knows who that informant was, although Jeff Gwynn has two pretty good guesses. The smart money was on Joe Bill Francis, who was engaged to Clyde's sister, Marie. Never trust anybody with three first names. Yeah, I've never even
1: (laughs) heard of that. Three first names.
4: See, Joe Bill was a bit of a son of a bitch and would have turned in Bonnie and Clyde just for the reward money. The other possibility was that Billie Jean Parker, Bonnie's sister, tipped off the sheriff's department in exchange for a light sentence for Bonnie. Because mm. the suffering Bonnie was going through was getting just too much for her sister to bear. Oh, but I'm they sure. Had,
2: they had several family conferences where they straight up were like, please stop. And at yeah. one point, even Clyde Barrow asked her to please leave the gang. Like, will you do this? Like, there was these, these moments when they did these big family visits where they all begged her to stop because at this point. She wasn't even adding to the gang, right? But she wouldn't leave Clyde. Okay, so Bonnie's in it for life. Either way, when
4: Bonnie and Clyde showed up in West Dallas for Me Barrow's birthday in November of 1933, Smoot Schmid was waiting with deputies Bob Alcorn, Ed Caster, and Ted Hinton. And Ted actually knew Bonnie from her waitressing days. Oh, Ted was a regular. Okay. But as Bonnie and Clyde arrived at the agreed-upon meeting spot, Clyde's spider scent started Uh-oh. tingling. Spider ham. He didn't know why, but for some reason, the meat just didn't feel right. So Clyde kept driving. The posse still opened fire as Bonnie and Clyde drove past, and they almost shot Cumie Barrow in the process. Wow. All while well, Schmidt kept yelling,
2: Halt! 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 halt!
4: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, and just so, about the most futile fucking gesture you can imagine.
1: Yeah, well, that's d- how we know pedophiles don't have that spider ham sense because none of them realized Chris Hansen was in that house <laughs> during To Catch a Predator.
4: No. Well, unbeknownst to the posse, though, one of those shots had connected. A bullet had passed through the car door and it hit both Bonnie and Clyde in the legs. Wounded the same again, bullet. Same bullet. One bullet went through the car. Because they were not fucking around. That's a super bullet. Yeah, that was probably a BAR or something very high caliber. Okay. But uh, so, wounded again. Again. Yeah. The
2: pair went to a crooked doctor in Oklahoma and got fixed up. And this would be such an embarrassment for Schmood. This was a massive embarrassment because it's again- he failed he, again. Lo- he lost him again, and yeah. this was immediately blown up like Bonnie and Clyde can't be caught.
1: I mean, I get it. In the world, if we lived in the Dukes of Hazard world, seeing Boss Hog stomp on his hat, nah, throw his hand, cowboy hat on, no, nah. oh my, boys, <laughs> it's kind of fun.
4: Well, it was while Bonnie and Clyde were in Oklahoma, though, that they figured it'd be all right to swing by and seek some sanctuary with Pretty Boy Floyd because it was an open secret that Pretty Boy's headquarters were in Salisaw. A Pretty boy Floyd had a decidedly low opinion of Bonnie and Clyde, but not because they were small timers. In Floyd's words, Bonnie and Clyde were too careless with the lives of civilians, which was a fair opinion to have. Yeah, absolutely. But Floyd's sister-in-law didn't know this and welcomed them them to the Floyd home because, in her opinion, they looked like dog shit. They were filthy from bathing in muddy streams, emaciated from eating fucking nothing but weenies, and they were (laughs) bandaged from multiple gunshots wounds, burns, and what have yous.
1: Jesus Christ, it must smell like the mummy, like if the (laughs) mummy just ate gas station (laughs) food. Now, they
4: only stayed a night or two, but when Floyd found out that they'd come by because Floyd wasn't there at the time, he told his family to never help them again, saying quote, if they
2: don't like it, they can look me up.
1: (gasps) Cool, because yeah. he'd kill him. He'd yeah. kill him. <laughs> that's
4: cool. Now, it probably goes without saying that Bonnie and Clyde were at a bit of a low point in their
2: career.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair assessment, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're definitely at their, I would say, the second iteration of talk soup.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they're. Oh, I love that, yeah. <laughs> they're at their Michael Jordan playing for the wizard's phase. Yeah. yeah.
4: But strangely, what would lift them back up was a plan from Clyde's past that just about everyone thought was a non-starter. They thought it was never going to happen, and it was just pie in the sky. The Eastham Prison Break. Yeah! Yeah. Now, as we mentioned earlier, Raymond Hamilton had received a 99-year sentence for the murder of John Butcher. And Raymond Hamilton had ended up at Eastham. And Clyde hadn't forgot about his promise to break Raymond free. And in January of 1934, Raymond got word to Bonnie and Clyde that he was ready to go. (gasps) The plan was to have Raymond's brother Floyd plant a couple of pistols under a bridge near a back road where the prisoners were clearing out brush. Then, on the agreed-upon day, Raymond Hamilton and his friend, this guy named Joe Palmer, would grab the guns, get the drop on the guards, and meet Clyde nearby in an escape car. Okay.
2: And surprisingly, they pulled it off. Yeah, All it, right, it, finally! It actually worked. Well, Clyde agreed. He's like, because you didn't want to be fully involved. He's like, okay. it'll just be me. And I will just, all I do is drive. Mm-hmm. That's all I do. Mm-hmm. I have one job. Just like fucking. Ryan in the Gosling. Movie. Yeah. yeah in guy. the movie. He yeah. didn't
1: say anything. Drive. He didn't have to. No, he was just, his body spoke for him. Yeah, and the jacket. And the jacket spoke, yeah. And he drived. And then he drove, yeah.
4: <laughs> Joe Palmer and Raymond Hamilton shot and killed two guards before running into the woods, followed by prisoners Hilton Bobby, J.B. French, and Henry Methvin. All right. A meth then, wasn't a part of the original break plan, but Clyde had been having romantic ideas about an Easton break for years. So he liked the idea of bringing along one more guy who just to add the balls to run.
1: Is romantic the right adjective for that? Yeah, romantic, I think huh? totally.
4: Yeah. Ro- it's a it's a romantic idea. Okay. That is, yeah. Romance. Romantic doesn't just mean fucking. It doesn't just mean like it It can also mean
2: like a highfalutin, like sort of uh well, to, a pie-in-the-sky type oh of idea. God. It's also a beautiful idea, and you think that it's more perfect than it is. And you yeah. think that, again, Well, I was saying before, where Clyde Barrow believes that this is the thing that makes him a good guy. Yeah, right, of is course. Is that he goes and he can really fucking, like, he'll, he'll fucking give something to the American punishment system.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the American punishment system. Punishment <laughs> system. That also sounds romantic. The
2: American punishment
4: <laughs> system. Yeah, you can find that on kink.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, methan went in the trunk, and the car made a clean getaway. Nice. But all this came at a gigantic cost. Mm. Although the prison break had filled the Barrows Gang's ranks with experienced criminals, both the break at Eastham and the inclusion of Henry Meth then would be the beginning of the end. That's because the Eastam break introduced legendary Texas Ranger Frank Hamer into the story. Cool. Now, if anyone got a raw deal in the 1967 Bonnie and Clyde movie, it was Frank Hamer. In the movie, he's portrayed as a kind of bumbling boss hoss type character, humiliatingly chasing Bonnie and Clyde around the country while they laugh in his face and call him an idiot. Mm. And that ain't it. Now, Hamer was so provably different from that portrayal that his family sued Warner Brothers for defamation of character after the movie was released and got a tidy settlement for their troubles. Hey,
2: all right. All of the Hamers were very serious.
4: Yeah, it sounds like it. In reality, Frank Hamer was what you would call the original Texas lawman. He's the type of person that Texans aspire to be. He's a, Frank Hamer is the romantic ideal of what a Texan is, but y- very few actually are. Right. You are truly in love with Frank Hamer. I love Frank Hamer. Frank Hamer's fucking great. Like, so he's he, like uh- he certainly wasn't perfect, but Frank Hamer was a shining example of heroism, honor, and justice in a time and place where all three were in very short supply.
1: What was that Chuck Norris show? Where he Walker was Texas Ranger. Don't even talk to me about Walker Texas Ranger. Oh, you don't, don't like Whoa. it? Yeah, Chuck Norris is a piece of shit. Whoa! Whoa. We sometimes we open up a Pandora's box. And I don't know what <laughs> you said, Matt. So, like with the with fart day. We, we got so it. upset. I they, don't even know. I didn't know he was a target for <laughs> farts. I thought that was a fun show because he was a Texas Ranger and you're from Texas. And I thought you might. This is. I didn't mean to ruin the day.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, Frank Hamer had been in the Texas Rangers since 1906 after he tracked down a horse thief just because he wanted to. And there was nary a time for the next 30 years that Frank Hamer wasn't in the service of the law. And if there's one thing Frank Hamer believed in... It was the law. Okay. Particularly, it was the fair and equal protection of all people under the law, regardless of race, which in early twentieth century Texas was a stance that was not only just
2: unusual, but highly fucking dangerous. Oh yeah, oh, dude. Things had not really changed all that much. If you think when did slavery end? Eighteen sixty four. So it's forty years ago. Yeah at this point. Holy
4: shit. Frank Hamer stopped countless racially motivated lynchings in Texas, oftentimes single-handedly facing down mobs of 50 people or more. One time, he snuck two prisoners out of the back of the jail and hid with them in an alligator-infested swamp all night, face down in the mud until the mob moved on. The key is, boys,
1: you
2: gotta think like a log
1: (laughs) and then eventually you become... Oh, Ooh, nice. <laughs> man, and people are so crazy in mobs. Ooh, man! The mob mentality is forever horrifying.
4: Well, another time, Hamer walked through an old-school torches and pitchforks mob just kicking people who got in the way into the shins. Yep, just I'm kick
2: them g- in the shins with his high-pointed boots. A a little little bit just say, get,
4: get out of here.
2: I'm going to be kicking. If you going to be standing where I'm kicking, you're going to get kicked. That's kick math. <laughs> I love
1: Texas kick math.
4: That's very good. Well, most of the time, like, these mob assholes, they would just back down on Hamer's say-so. Like, he had that much of a presence. He's right. a big guy,
1: Right. Uh, he, he was, was big. big. Yeah, he was about 6'3", six, six, Oh, my God, by that, and, and in that time, yeah. he was like my size. Yeah. yeah,
4: yeah. Now, Hamer had actually got talked into joining the Ku Klux Klan
2: in the early 20s. Wait, me tell me, this group of yours, it has both dragons and wizards? <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. I've only seen fantasy novels and how I wish to be an elf, but I'm not fair enough. To be one of the beautiful 11 elven species that exists in the hills of Galadriel. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, this was back before anyone really knew who the KKK
4: was. This was like kind of in the resurgence in the 20s. Okay. Uh, but Hamer was told that they were like a booster club that was like, there. What are a
1: booster club. They were there to aid
4: law enforcement. Oh, so Hamer see? was like, oh. all right, well, you know, shit, we need. we need all the help we can get. That's great. Yeah. But during the first and only meeting Hamer attended, the Grand Wizard
2: started off. By laying out a plan to tar and feather a local sex worker. Whoa, dude, ease me in. <laughs> okay, why do we gotta start at one of the extreme plants? Can't we just talk about making costumes?
4: Oh, my
1: leave them alone. Well, Frank Hamer stood up,
2: walked to
4: the center of the hall, and told him that if they dared fucking do it, if they even thought about doing it, he'd throw every man in that room into jail. Whoa. There he is. And with that, Hamer became a lifelong enemy of the KKK. All right. He battled them his entire fucking career. But Frank Hamer, also wasn't afraid to use his gun. Far from it. By the end of his career, Frank Hamer had killed 53 men in the line of duty and had been wounded 17
2: times. Something tells me earlier generations of men were tougher. Maybe. What is, you think so? What is that? I, what, I, there's something the about it. I don't know, because all of this just sounds so like, oh, Yeah. You, know, like, <laughs> you mean to tell me you never stayed at the W <laughs> this whole time? <laughs> what is his medallion? That's what I want to find out. What's his Delta medallion? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know.
4: In fact, Frank Cameron used to tell new recruits the best way to enforce the law was with a 45 slug to the gun. Yeah, oh, my. And it, But it wasn't like he was trigger happy. Remember, this was a time when Everyone in Texas was
1: armed. Yeah, he sounds like he was very trigger serious, as a matter of fact.
4: (laughs) Well, talking about how many men he'd killed, Hamer said this, and this is a direct quote. The men
2: I have shot down have all been criminals in the act of committing a crime, or resisting arrest. I'm hired to do that work. It's my job. I do it because I have to. I don't like to talk about it. I'll think about it. It is something. To be forgotten. Man talk. (laughs) That's real man talk.
1: I really do just see him just sort of taking off his pants because he wants to sit down and he rests them nice over the chair so Mm -hmm. they don't crease. Yeah. He seems like that kind of guy. Very much so. And
4: I, and in full disclosure, I have this respect for Frank Hammer knowing full well that he shot and killed my great-great-uncle G. McMeans
2: during the Sims-Johnson War of 1917. Oh,
1: my
4: goodness. This
2: Texas Silmarillion fucking bullshit. All of this is like the river of time. Every time we talk about this shit, it's all just deep Texas fantasy book
4: world.
1: It really is. So it was your great-great-great-uncle. No, it was my great-great-uncle.
4: Great-great-uncle. It was my grandfather's uncle. Oh,
1: okay, cool.
4: Yeah, McMeans is my uh, mother's maiden name. I like McMeans. It's a good one. Cool name. Good name for a football player. Yeah. Now, the Sims-Johnson War is far too complicated for us to go into, but to make it short, the war was a blood feud with Frank Hamer working as a bodyguard for the Johnsons because he was married to a Johnson, Mm. and my great-great-uncle G, who was also a Texas Ranger, married to a Sims. Mm. Why they
2: fight all the time.
4: It was a blood feud uh,
2: yeah, Don't you, you I
4: mean I don't come know. On. It's extremely It's extremely complicated Like I can't go into The Sims Johnson where It all happened It all happened in Garza County Outside of Post Near Claremont All that yeah It was all about like,
2: like Somebody just... lost my shovel Right <laughs> it's, it, it sucks
4: like that right It's very complicated right. Yeah it's, it's blood feud shit You know it's always One small thing You keep saying the
2: words Blood feud <laughs> Like we
1: are supposed to know
2: I had two diet Cokes you had In two? this refrigerator And now there is one And you know so every day i have a diet coke on the way to work cuz i love
1: aspartame you want oh, to have a blood for you i guess we got two blood for you dad
4: uncle g tried getting the drop on hamer and even managed to shoot hamer in the shoulder but hamer pistol whipped my uncle and sent him running hamer gave chase and when and when mcmeans got to his car and pulled out a shotgun Hamer blew him away. The inside information I got from my family, though, (gasps) is that an assassin approached my great-great-grandfather a few days later and offered to take revenge on Frank Hamer for $500. But my great-great-grandfather was sick with the flu and died before he can give an answer, which ended my family's involvement in the
2: Johnson-Sims War. All right. flu is very dangerous in the story. Yeah. I guess so, so. a man, like, in a kimono showed up? <laughs> like, a man from the far east with a sword who's yes. like, It is my great honor to serve you <laughs> to attack a man in his sleep. Is it that kind of assassin? No, just an old, just some dude with a gun. You're like, talking be, about a guy? I'm just talking,
4: yeah, a guy. Not, no, no, no was a guy who from is a, Kill who,
1: Bill, Just a random dude.
4: He technically, I mean, he is an assassin, just because he doesn't have a sword doesn't mean he's not an assassin. Like, me, he's a guy that goes to people and say, like,
1: you want a man dead? It I'll seems like this dead. man just wants to kill a man.
2: I feel like, like that's what it is. It's a pre-murderer where, for me, an assassin has a sniper rifle in a billiard stick
1: <laughs> case. Yeah. like Antonio Banderos in Desperado. That but, was cool.
4: But had my great-great-grandfather said yes? my family would have been pulled into the Sims-Johnson War, which would have put the whole McMeans family in danger, which means that Frank Hammer could have severed my family's bloodline by possibly killing my great-grandfather, and I wouldn't be talking to you guys right now.
2: Whoa, this is like Whoa. back to the future.
4: Yeah. Yeah. But at any rate, Frank Hammer... Had been in and out. <laughs> I just wanted to say I just, I
1: no, I know No, it's it's absolutely wonderful. I'm very happy that Frank Hammer did not kill your family. Yeah. <laughs> Is yeah. that, that yes. that's
2: all I wanted to hear? Yeah,
4: yeah, I'm absolutely. really glad
1: they didn't
2: unleash the Texas Terminator <laughs> onto your entire family line.
1: Absolutely, yes. But
4: at any rate, Frank Hamer had been in and out of the Texas Rangers for years by the time Bonnie and Clyde came along. See, for about a hundred years, the Texas Rangers reported directly to the governor of Texas. That meant that the quality of the Texas Rangers. Rangers depended heavily on who was in office at the time. Mm. Some governors took it seriously and filled the ranks with good cops, but others used it as an opportunity to trade political favors. Mm. And so Rangers often came and went, depending on who was giving orders from Austin at the time. And it just so happened that when Bonnie and Clyde came along, the Texas Rangers were were full of incompetent lackeys of the famously corrupt Ma Ferguson, who made a nice little side hustle selling pardons. Oh.
2: What was the quote that Hamer had about the Texas Rangers? Was it, uh,
4: what is it? A man who was wrong can never stand against a man who was right. That doesn't stop coming.
3: Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Now, there's a myth that Frank Hamer quit when Ma Ferguson was elected because he refused to take orders from a woman. But Frank Hamer had already worked for Ma Ferguson during her first term in the mid-20s. But Frank Hamer knew that there was about to be another politically motivated ranger purge coming. And that meant that Frank was on his way out. He knew he was going to get fired anyway. Right, right. So to stick it to the corrupt Ma Ferguson, Frank quit and on the way out said some misogynist shit just to stick it to Ma. All right. But when the Easton breakout occurred, prison superintendent Lee Simmons, who was far crueler than he was weepily portrayed in The Highwaymen by the guy who played Mimi's husband in the Drew <sighs> Carey show. Yeah. That what? guy played him. What? Yeah. He was playing as this like weepy like, oh, I just don't know what's going to happen when my prison break happens. <laughs> he was the fucking psychopath with the
2: bat. Yeah. It, the, yeah. He was fucking awful. Yeah. It was a fight fu- I have no sympathy for any, any of those motherfuckers. No. That place should have burnt to the ground.
1: Yeah. yeah. Mimi Bobek, Stevens Point, Wisconsin, claimed to. Fame. Also, we got Peter, Peter Weller. Y- yeah, from uh, RoboCop Cop. and me. Cool. Well, oh,
4: yeah. Well, Lee Simmons could not let the prison break stand, <gasps> and Simmons could think of only one man who could finally come in and clean up the mess that Bonnie and Clyde had made all over Texas. <sighs> Frank Hamer. He's gotta get right. in there. Now the pay wasn't great. <laughs> Give me your clothes. <laughs> as soon as he my, shows up. You know it's like,
2: I don't really understand why you showed up nude, Frank. <laughs> Give me your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> now, the
4: pay wasn't great, but the deal was finally cinched when Simmons agreed to let Hamer keep and sell anything he might find on Bonnie and Clyde's person when he finally took them down. Mm. Hamer was also promised as much time as he needed to capture Bonnie and Clyde, and he got an assurance that Ma Ferguson was behind him 100% regardless of politics or their past. And once Frank Hamer was on their trail, Bonnie and Clyde had just a little more than three months to live. Uh Uh-oh, Hamer's on it! Meanwhile, now that Bonnie and Clyde had actual professionals in their gang... They
2: were doing better than ever. They just started
1: oh figuring it out. <laughs> they
2: literally they are they are fucked up beyond belief. Right. But they are starting to get a system and starting to mature. Isn't that unfortunate? Well their first robbery scored thirty eight hundred
4: dollars, which works out to about seventy-two grand in today's money. But a big reason why the robberies went so smoothly was because it was Raymond Hamilton and Hilton Bybee doing the actual bank robbing. Well, they were hard motherfuckers. Yeah. Right.
1: That should have been it the entire time. Bonnie and Clyde should have been the face. They should have had actual people working. They are the producers. Yes. yes. And Clyde, he was just the getaway driver, which was what he should have been
4: doing the whole fucking yep. time. Thing was about Clyde, though, is that since family was so important to him, he didn't mind indulging the other members when they wanted to see their
2: family. He's kind of like Dave Thomas what, In a way Wendy's? yeah Wendy's? about. What, in what way? Because Dave Thomas Was an orphan He said his whole thing About was creating Families within The Wendy's community So he encouraged <laughs> Families to work At the restaurant
1: well, First of all I have no idea If any of that is true This
2: is I mean I know That he's an orphan And he did like <laughs> families But it is interesting To say Did you go in a Dave Thomas
1: Like YouTube hole Or something? Dave Thomas Was a He's David Copperfield Of burgers <laughs> I, I did not know yeah. that you loved Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, so I much. Feel,
2: I don't love him. I respect him. Mm. All right. He had a good idea, and he ran with
4: it. Square burgers. You got to love it. Well, the Barrow Gang started spending a lot of time in Bienville Parish in Louisiana with the family of Henry Methvin. Now, although Clyde and Henry Methvin didn't know each other before the break, they became fast friends. In oh. Eastham, Henry had earned the nickname Tush Hog,
2: which was somehow a tribute to his toughness. It's interesting about how now, if you were in prison and you got the nickname Tush Hog... (laughs) Yeah. It'd be different. <laughs> it might be different. It might be different. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, I quit hogging all the tush.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, that could go in a whole series of different directions.
2: Oh, yeah. I I don't know the idea of being up to your snout and tush. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, That's of nice. Of course.
1: Yeah, I've seen the documents. I've seen the videos. And Clyde
4: liked Henry a hell of a lot more than he liked Raymond Hamilton. See, Clyde and Raymond Hamilton were still button heads, and it only got worse when Raymond started bringing along his own body, a woman named Mary O'Dare.
1: Yes, and I think button heads is actually how Henry got the name Tushaw. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, Mary, she had the bed there, there uh, and Good dear, there, dear, there, I did not, no. <laughs> now,
4: Although Mary O'Dare sounds like the perfect bank robber girlfriend, she was really just a pain in the ass. Yeah, she uh, was a real Nancy Spongen. Yeah, see, Bonnie totally understood that life on the road was hard. Bonnie didn't complain, but Mary O'Dare spent her whole time pissing and moaning because they weren't going out to dinner at fancy places and dancing in nightclubs every night like she thought a glamorous criminal gang should. I mean,
1: honestly, she's what all of us would be doing. <laughs> but
2: the thing is, well, yeah, I'm not. We're not. I'm not a tush hog. No, right. right. I'm no, not. No. None of we're us are tush hogs. are no, not. We're no, not no. doing that. No, but if she. I don't know what she thought the idea of i mean like why would you go to a famous nightclub if you were on the run from the law right you can't go to these places
1: the sad thing about celebrity
4: well i think she had like a hollywood version in her head like she was watching all these movies like angels with dirty faces and stuff like that where she sees all these criminals hanging out in nice suits they've all got martini glasses Uh and they're all having a wonderful time and mary o'dare thought thought that's what life in the Barrow Gang was going to be, but it's just fucking Vienna weenies and bathing in It is.
1: It literally is someone who wants to get into the porno industry, the sex work industry, and they just like go out to L.A., and they're like, this is going to be just like Boogie Nights. And then they're like, did you finish the movie? And then they're like, no, "No, I watched the first half. No, the first (laughs) half. It was fucking fucking rocking, dude. You know what I mean?
4: (laughs) But Clyde was stuck with Mary O'Dare because Raymond was pretty much the only one in the gang who really knew what they were doing. But finally, Mary went too far when she tried to get rid of Clyde. Because Mary really liked Bonnie, but Mary didn't like Clyde. You're going
1: to piss off Bonnie.
4: One night, after Bonnie and Clyde got into a particularly bad fight, Mary tried to convince Bonnie to slip Clyde a Mickey and leave him behind to form a new gang
2: with Mary and Raymond. Yeah, that's a bad look, dude, because Bonnie is fucking loyal. Yeah. And you forget she is a fucking little serpent. Like, at some point, she's just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What did you just say? Do what? To who? And then, you know, Mary O'Dare is thinking they're just having fun, and then all of a sudden, it's a click-click, her fucking eyes change.
1: Well, that's what people got to realize when you're in a battle, when you're in war. I mean, obviously, we haven't been in gunfights together, but we've gone through a lot together, and we can make fun of each other. But when someone from the outside says something, it's just like,
4: no. No, you don't get to do that. but you like like your fucking kneecaps? Do you want (laughs) to keep them? You literally just
2: started in this gang. Right?
4: (laughs) Like, nope. Well, after that, Clyde told Raymond and Mary to fuck off. And Clyde and Raymond never worked together again. Wow. Now, they might have eventually crossed paths again, if not for the fact that Bonnie and Clyde were going to be dead very soon.
1: They had to know this was coming, though, right?
2: Well, Well, they... Technically, in a way, hoped it would happen because that's how all of these stories end in a blaze of glory. Yeah. I mean, Bonnie had always other. She had a whole side plan where she thought that they would retire to the hills and they would do all the shit that was not going to fucking happen because Clyde didn't know how to live another life.
1: Yeah. Right, right. Now but at this point, are they pretty well healed up? Yeah, for the most part.
4: I mean, Bonnie's Bonnie is healed up. She can like kind of hop along. They're not like they don't have gaping wounds anymore. Okay, but yeah, they are healed up enough.
2: Yeah, they're not hill ghouls anymore.
4: <laughs> right. They are just they are effed up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, Frank Hamer was hot on their trail. Working in total secrecy, Hamer traced Bonnie and Clyde's steps, sometimes sleeping in his car and eating canned food and hot dogs in an attempt
2: to get into Clyde Barrow's head. He went into full Christian Bale method acting, (laughs) where he's just being like, first thing I'm gonna do, I got to tie my leg
1: up to my butt so I know what it's like to hop. Uh, can you imagine just getting into Phil Hamer's Uber ride just after he's been in there for 18 hours eating sausages? And... I just
2: got my stink to right where I like
4: it, oh. where the flies die. <laughs> Now, the myth is that Hamer did this for the entire three months that he chased them. But really, Hamer was still going back home for his wife, Gladys,'s cooking every once in a while. Okay. Yeah,
2: it's like Christian Bale. Yeah, he is Batman on set all day, but he still has like a nutritionist and he's still <laughs> oh, got to yeah. go to the fucking gym. He's still got like a couple of calls he's going to have to take where he does have to be like, Yes, I would like to put a travel notice on my
1: debit card. <laughs> yes, I'm going to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's playing the new Batman? Uh, Robert Pattinson. I'm excited for it. It'll be fine. I think We're he's all gonna be cool good with
2: it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to be Penguin. Yeah. If, if the groundswell good. is enough behind me. I saw at
1: least eight retweets. Yeah. About it, about a tweet.
4: <laughs> but the interesting thing about Hamer is that while he started off with a horse and a six shooter in 1906, he was a full on detective by the time he started chasing Bonnie and Clyde. Cool. Well versed in ballistics, fingerprints and criminal psychology. So using those instincts, Hamer started following leads, particularly leads that sprung from the Eastham prison break. Hmm. Teaming up with some of the Dallas deputies who had been trying to catch the Barrow gang for years, Hamer went to Louisiana. See, for the most part, Bonnie and Clyde had steered clear of Louisiana when it came to their crimes, which meant that criminal investigations concerning Bonnie and Clyde were non-existent when it came to that state. But Hamer figured that the lack of investigation actually made it the perfect place to investigate. Right. And his hunch turned out to be correct. And looking into the lives of some of the criminals involved in the prison break, Hamer discovered that although Henry Methvin wasn't originally from Louisiana, that was where his family now lived. Specifically, they lived in Bienville Parish. So, Hamer, keeping the lowest possible profile, traveled to Bienville Parish and contacted Sheriff Henderson Jordan and told him to give Hamer a ring should Bonnie and Clyde ever show up. Pretty soon after that, Sheriff Jordan got a call from Henry Methvin's father, Ivy. Now, the Methvin's were not well liked in Bienfell Parish. Ivy was a mean drunk, mm. and his wife, Ava, was just as
2: bad. I like it when there's two mean drunks. Yeah, it's, yeah, cute. it's fun, right? Yeah. yeah.
4: But despite their shortcomings, they still loved their son, Henry, and they wanted to do everything they could to rescue Henry from the troubles he'd gotten himself into. Mm-hmm. So, Ivy Methvin told Sheriff Jordan that he'd gladly turn over Bonnie and Clyde just so long as Henry got a pardon for any and all crimes he committed in the state of Texas.
1: Oh, all right.
2: Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what they do. Because Texas will just gladly pardon you at this
1: point in time. And then, of course, he could work as a tush hog uh, dancing (laughs) his entire life away. He
2: could teach tush hoggery (laughs) at the local
4: university. Of course. So, Jordan called up Hamer, and Hamer agreed, because Hamer had pretty much been given carte blanche to do whatever he wanted by Ma Ferguson, mm. just
2: so long as Hamer brought in Bonnie and Clyde. But this time, at this point, he's so deep into his method copping uh, that he is in the swamp, dressed as a fern, right, waiting for them right. to come back and forth. And he's like, they come, like, Frank, Frank, don't call me Frank, <laughs> call me Mr. Plant. <laughs> But plans don't talk, Frank. I'm going to shoot you in the goddamn (laughs) head.
4: But right around that time, Henry would be directly responsible for a crime that would almost sink the whole deal. Mm -mm. And that same act would also turn the tide of public opinion concerning America's favorite outlaw couple.
1: So they're still getting cheers in the streets up to this point. Yep. Okay.
4: On Easter Sunday, 1934, Bonnie, Clyde, Barrow gang member Joe Palmer, and Henry Methvin were on their way to West Dallas to spend a nice afternoon with the Barrow and Parker families. Bonnie had even brought along
2: a little pet rabbit to give to her mother, which Bonnie had named Sonny Boy.
4: Aww.
1: Aww.
2: I will say, a rabbit's a terrible gift.
1: Yeah. <laughs> will he poop a lot?
2: They are. They, I love, when we had a rabbit for a short period of yeah. time, I loved Philip, and he was a lovely rabbit. But I had a
1: rabbit named Rusty.
2: Everything
1: is covered in shit. Yes, that's and the problem. And they bite. And they do bite. Small pellets. Yeah.
4: So, once the Barrow Gang got close, Joe was sent into town to give instructions to the families on when and where to meet. In the meantime, Bonnie, Clyde, and Henry Methan were waiting on the side of the road on Highway 114, just north of Grapevine, for Palmer to return. It's at this point that two motorcycle cops, 26-year-old E.B. Wheeler and 24-year-old H.D. Murphy, spotted the trio and decided to investigate. And once again... The woefully underprepared cops had no idea who they were approaching, Ugh. and when Clyde spotted them coming, he turned to Henry Methvin and said, "Let's take
2: take him. But it's been important, which we now have discussed as a group. If you have a criminal gang, you need to all get on the same term, get on the same page, right. of what the terms mean. What's the slang? Mm-hmm. Right. What are we talking about here? Yep. Because to Clyde, this meant let's take them hostage
4: and dump them down the road somewhere then get the hell out of Dodge. Okay. Which was the same thing the Barrow Gang had done half a dozen times before. It's like when we say we want to record a podcast, what we say
2: is we want to toss a loogie.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. We always say that. You going
2: to go toss a loogie?
1: <laughs> I think that's how you become a tush hog as well. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. But Henry was new to the gang. He hadn't been on the road with Clyde and Buck and W.D. back when they did shit like that all the time. Plus, Methvin was drunk. And when Methvin <gasps> got drunk, he got aggressive. Yeah. So mm. when Clyde said, let's take him, what Henry heard was, let's kill him. <gasps> so when one of the cops got off their bike and approached the car, Henry whipped out a BAR and fired without warning, hitting E.B. Wheeler in the chest and killing him Instantly, as far as the other cop went, it was his first day on patrol and he hadn't even loaded his shotgun or even gotten off his bike yet. It was oh, like, oh, man!
2: no, like because it's just like B-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b". like because this is a
4: wild gun. Yeah, And as he fumbled for the shells, Clyde, he knew they'd crossed a point no return. He just took the cue and Clyde blasted the rookie with the shotgun, uh, killed him <sighs> as well. I mean, I guess at that point. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just like, it was like, all right, well, uh, Henry guess us now, now. Now, we, now we got either we do this or we die. Then Henry walked up to both cops and fired a few more shots into their prone bodies to make sure they were dead. Or at least that's one version of the story, although it's the one most likely. Old man Schaefer <gasps> told a different story. William Schaefer, who was watching from his front porch, half a mile away, went on record with both the press and the police saying that he personally saw Bonnie deliver the kill shots while the cops were laying on the ground. Hmm. Saw Bonnie deliver the kill shots. Who has one leg. Yes. But that wasn't the story told by Mr. and Mrs. Fred Giggle. (laughs) The
1: Giggle
2: family. (laughs) (laughs) It's the saddest thing I've ever seen. He went, he shot (laughs) that young cop right in the dick. (laughs) Uh, I just
1: don't think you're taking this very seriously, Mrs. Giggle. I
2: am more upset than you can (laughs) (laughs) imagine. (laughs) Well,
1: the Giggles had been out for a Sunday
4: drive, and they were much closer to the scene than old man Schaefer. And the story the Giggles told matches up with what Clyde later told his family. Okay. Regardless, though, Schaefer's story, Old Man Schaefer, that was the one the press went with. Mm. And movie theaters across the country showed newsreels of Old Man Schaefer
2: Colorfully reenacting the scene in his front yard. He wouldn't believe it. She came out the car, just ba boom, ba boom, <laughs> ba boom. Huge breast showing, exposed, and then she put the gun in her pajama. Really? <laughs> and she went ba goose, ba goose, goose. And then Clyde took off the dress, and the two of them started making love in the ditch. You see? And that's uh-huh. when I entered, and I said, "Can I watch?" Uh-huh. And then Clyde said, "Let me watch, right?" Yes. And the uh, next thing I know, we're cornholing each other uh-huh. while the radio was playing and then it started raining, right? And that was one of the best days of my life. Well,
1: as a journalist, I know that you're lying, but also as a journalist... That's the story we're going to use. That's the story we're going to go with. Well, things
4: looked even worse for the Barrow Gang when it was revealed that Officer Murphy was just two weeks from his wedding. And shit got real bad when his fiancée showed up to Murphy's funeral in her goddamn wedding dress. Oh, it's like that's a, so
1: sad.
3: It's
4: like November rain. Yeah. It
1: is like, it literally is November rain. Yeah. Oh,
4: man. Furthermore, the cops had a vested interest in Bonnie and Clyde being the sole murderers here the wheels for Henry Methvin's pardon were already turning. And if it came out that Henry Methvin was a murderer, (gasps) it might put a kibosh on Frank Hamer's whole operation. So he got away with one. He got away with it. Uh Now, the public had always assumed that Clyde was a straight psychopath. But that image had always been tempered by Bonnie, who'd always seemed like a good-time girl along for the ride. Right. As such, if Bonnie ever turned herself in or was caught, it was assumed that she'd get off with a relatively light prison sentence, maybe 10 years, 15, Mm. but all that changed after what came to be known as Bloody Easter. Now, you had old man Schaefer's image of Bonnie murdering an honest young cop with a shotgun, Mm. laughing and saying, look at how his head bounces. So if Bonnie was caught, she was going to the fucking chair. Ma Ferguson even put a price on Bonnie's head for the first time, offering $500 each for Bonnie and Clyde. But the barrel gang wasn't done just yet. Five days after bloody Easter, Bonnie, Clyde, Henry, and the rabbit got stuck in the mud once again after some heavy Oklahoma
2: rains. And I'll tell you what, that rabbit was the actual psychopath. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. It had a little grenade up its asshole. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yep. Yeah, I've seen Donnie Darko. I know
4: how it goes. So the gang decided to just sleep in the car and wait for the road to solidify. And that's how officers Percy Boyd and Cal Campbell found them. Mm. See, the cops thought they just found a carload of drunks. And when the barrel gang saw the cops approaching, Clyde tried to get away, but the road was still wet. So the tires sunk down to the rims. Now, Cal Campbell was just an old man who'd taken up a constable job to shore up some of his losses in the Depression. Mm. Because he was barely trained, if at all, he was a little jumpy. (gasps) He thought he saw someone go for a gun. So Campbell drew his piddly little pistol and fired. Of course, the Barrow gang responded with rifles. Mm. A bullet severed Campbell's aorta, and he died shortly thereafter. And the Barrows hit Boyd as well, but decided to take him hostage instead of finishing him off. The problem was that the car was still stuck in the mud. What are they going
1: to do?
2: There's a lot of logistics. Yeah. Always with Bonnie and Clyde. Absolutely.
4: Luckily though, this was a relatively populous area. so when the shooting started, a few farmers came out of their houses to see what was going on. And after noticing them, Clyde immediately drafted the farmers with his gun and got them to work on pushing out the car. Ah, leadership's about delegation? I guess so. And any anytime a motorist stopped to see if they could help, Clyde pointed his rifle in their direction and made them get out of their car and help as well. It wasn't until a man named Charlie Dobson came by with a chain and a truck that the Ford V8 finally got free. The whole thing had taken about 40 minutes. Okay. The whole time, there's this corpse of this old man sitting in the road right next to him. Jeez. But only a few miles away, the Barrow gang found the road blocked by two more cars stuck in the mud as well. Oh,
2: my goodness. This is such a pain in the goddamn ass. It really is. And all of it, It just nothing's easy. You remember, they haven't stopped. This no. has been this is another week Jeez. of just constant yeah. movement. This is
4: 5 days after the la- after bloody Easter and they oh they've been God. on the road the whole fucking time. And so when the other two when they found the other two cars stuck in the mud, Clyde and Henry got out and helped them push the cars out of the way. And this whole time Officer Boyd was tied up in the car with Bonnie. And when Boyd was dropped off a few hours later, he said that he was totally convinced that Bonnie and Clyde were not cold-blooded murderers. Although, there may have been a little Stockholm Syndrome at work here. Mm. Boyd said that he was convinced they were just dumb kids drowning in the deep end, and he kind of even forgave them for killing his partner.
1: Well, it was uh, was the first day on the job for his partner. They didn't have a chance to bond.
4: Yeah, they (laughs) They really didn't. (laughs) And when they let Boyd go, he asked Bonnie if there was anything she wanted to tell the press on behalf of the Barrow Gang. And Bonnie's only statement
1: was this. Tell them I don't smoke cigars. Ma'am, that is like the least of uh, what they're saying about you in the papers. They, they said that you're a, a murderer and you're hanging out with like a, a, a rapist. I'm no Kevin Spacey. I don't smoke cigars. <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> and still, this
4: whole time, the state of Texas was working on a pardon for Henry Methvin, despite the fact that he'd been
1: involved in two murders. It seems like he was the most aggressive one. Yes.
4: Yeah. Very much so. And by this time, it was well known that Frank Hamer was on the trail. After Bloody Sunday, Hamer had put together a posse. And since the Texas government had to look like it was doing something, they released Hamer's involvement to the press.
2: Which is he was trying to keep as quiet as possible for so long because he knew the longer he was operating in silence and in secrecy without them knowing that he was on this trail, then he would be able to catch up to them easy.
4: But the fact that Frank Hamer was on the trail didn't really bother Bonnie and Clyde. Now, it could be that they were too young to know just how legendary Frank Hamer was because Frank Hamer was a celebrity. It could also be they figured one more cop, who gives a shit? Right. We, there's already a thousand cops after us right now. Who gives a shit for one more guy? Sure, yeah.
2: but they didn't understand it was fucking. He, it is Steven Seagal, but from Under <sighs> Siege, not in real life. <laughs> oh,
4: that's good. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's good. Oh, Under Siege, Steven Seagal, very badass. Mm-hmm.
2: Back when he
4: was thin, kind of. Well, Frank Hamer's original plan was to take Bonnie and Clyde alive, and this was despite the fact that the Barrow Gang notoriously never surrendered, no matter what the situation. Mm. And really, Frank Hamer was by no means a stranger to shooting first and asking questions later. His real issue was that he didn't want to have to kill a woman. <laughs> so it's very, that's, it's like, very weird. It's very old, very old school Texas honored like, I don't want to shoot a woman.
2: But okay. they viewed Bonnie as not a woman. They viewed her as a syphilis ridden gargoyle. That was the whole thing was that anybody, any woman that consorted with criminals like this were supposed to be like property of the gang and that's all she did and obviously a lot of slut shaming involved. Well, that's what a lot of the Dallas police,
4: Frank Hamer was just pretty much like, no, she's just a person. I don't want to shoot a woman. She's a criminal like all the rest like he didn't really pay attention to a lot of the like the more like personal stuff that didn't really matter he's like I don't fucking care no like he's she's has not- ki- she's killed she's been involved in the deaths of
2: I think eight police officers at this point yeah I don't think Frank Hamer is gonna be like do you think that Meghan Markle is cheating on <laughs> Prince Harry
1: I don't know I don't know
2: well the thing is that his original plan skirted
4: the inevitability of murdering Bonnie and Clyde. See, when the Barrow Gang came to Bienville Parish to visit Henry Methvin's family, they didn't stay with the Methvins. They stayed in an old abandoned house, which was fairly easy to do since the countryside was littered with foreclosed homes. Oh, okay. So Frank's plan was to figure out where they were going to sleep beforehand, sneak in while the gang was asleep, pistol whip him into <gasps> submission kick their
2: guns away and take them in.
1: Let me see those kneecaps. Yeah, let me see those shins. Oh my
2: God, this is the tiniest leg I've ever seen on a woman. Let me pull it a little bit. Oh, that's fun. That's a fun little leg you got. (laughs) But it soon became clear
4: to Hamer that this wasn't going to be an option. The biggest problem was that it was damn near impossible to tell when the Barrow gang was staying the night or when they were just passing through. Ah. And after the Barrow gang killed Cal Campbell, Hamer knew that the longer the Barrow gang was out there the more dead cops there were going to be laying in the ditches of Texas and Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, you want to kind
4: of avoid that, I think. Yeah, Yeah. he just wanted to get him the fuck off the road, no matter what the cost. Yes. Right.
1: Okay, so he kind of switched. He's he's going away from his more passive ways. Yeah.
4: So Frank figured the only way to take him down was a good old-fashioned ambush. Oh. The plan was fairly simple. First, they had to make sure Henry Methvin wasn't anywhere near Bonnie and Clyde when the ambush occurred because Frank Hamer prided himself on never going back on his word. He always said every time Mm. he made a deal with a criminal, doesn't matter who he is, doesn't matter what he did. If he made a deal, he was going to honor his word.
2: That's a, that's a big promise though.
1: Yeah, so we'll see
2: what
4: happens.
1: Honestly, this is getting me really excited for Rob Zombies Three from Hell. Yeah, <laughs> for dude. some reason, I it, feel like this is like a, a sub like support for that movie really this entire series. So during one of the quick visits,
4: Ivy Methven took his son aside and told him about the deal. Uh, Henry was a little incredulous at first, but it didn't take him long to accept the fact that he could either live with the betrayal. Or die with Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, because he wasn't codependent on Bonnie and Clyde.
2: No. And I imagine he's watching them fuck all the time or do like, you know, have a yeah. relationship and shit. he's just the kind of third wheel. Well, the
4: second part of Hamer's plan was to make sure that the Barrow gang came to see Bienville as a safe haven. And this is how Hamer actually used the press to his advantage. He deliberately made it look like he was focusing on Arkansas, Missouri, Texas, and Oklahoma.
2: Smart. And he made damn sure no one saw him in Louisiana. Well, I put on this wig and this fancy dress, and again, I completely blend in. <laughs> you can see my ample bosom. I have married a local businessman who's taking care of me and our
1: two children. Mm-hmm. Learn that from watching John Candy in Armed and Dangerous. <laughs> Great film.
4: Well, that way, the Barrow gang would start to think of Bienville as a place where they could drop their guard. Ah. Uh. And so, on the weekend of May 19th, Frank Hamer got word that Bonnie and Clyde were in Bienville for an extended stay. As soon as he heard, Hamer put together a posse of six men, including himself, his buddy from the Texas Rangers, Manny Galt, Deputies Hinton and Alcorn in Dallas, who were able to give a positive ID of Bonnie and Clyde, and Deputy Oakley and Sheriff Jordan from Bienville
1: Parish. And (laughs) Spider-Ham.
2: Oh, it's (laughs) Spider-Ham. It's Peter Parker. What are you doing here? Honestly, (laughs) that is, I wasn't into comedy, uh, comic books. I never liked funny books, but I did like Spider-Ham.
4: I almost cried.
1: It was so cute.
4: So as planned, Henry Methvin disappeared from the gang soon after arriving in Bienville, Mm. telling Bonnie and Clyde that he was going to go see his cousin Willie. And you can pick
2: me up at my dad's place later. But back in the day, see, go seeing your cousin Willie used to be uh tag, it used to be slang for masturbating. Yeah.
4: Okay, thank
1: you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Gonna
1: go see my cousin Willie, not in public. But
4: <laughs> well, when Bonnie and Clyde went to go fetch Henry Methman, Ivy told them that Henry wouldn't be back until the next day mm. at 9 a.m.
1: Must be a long masturbation
4: session. <laughs> And as soon as Bonnie and Clyde agreed to come back at the appointed time, the trap was set. Yep. Oh,
1: so Henry was all
4: in. Henry was all in. Okay. Henry knew exactly what was happening the whole time. He completely betrayed
1: them. He completely fucked them over to save his own skin. I'm looking at both of y'all right now.
2: I don't know what I'll do. I don't know what my price uh-huh. is.
1: It's like the end of the movie The Thing. <laughs> I don't know who, which one of us
2: will turn on the other, Intriguing. but in the end, it was a good ride, wasn't it, boys? Yeah.
1: It was pretty fun.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fun. Well, that night, the posse of
4: six set up an ambush site on the road to Ivy Methvin's house. Sitting about 10 feet apart, the posse was armed with lever-action rifles, 35 caliber rifles made to kill big game, and of course, BARs. But Hamer had the biggest guns of all. He'd brought a 12-gauge shotgun And a Colt monitor machine rifle with a 20 shot (laughs) magazine, known as one of the ultimate kill shot weapons, due to their ability
2: to punch through damn near anything. Whoa. He had the 1930s version of Old Painless from Predator. <laughs> he's got the jaw in being like, you gotta take some of this will make you a sexual tyrannosaurus."
1: Oh my
2: goodness. <laughs> now, the
4: location of the ambush was just as important as the firepower they were using. The place they set up camp was such that while they could see anyone coming down the road, whoever was coming down the road couldn't see them. And for bait, the posse used who else but old Ivy Methvin. They had him pull his truck over to the side of the road and remove a wheel. And they knew that Clyde had warm enough feelings for Ivy that he'd feel obliged to pull over and help. Wow. So, at 8 a.m. that morning, Methvin took the wheel off his truck and waited. Problem was... Plenty of friendly country folk were ready and willing to render assistance. You need
1: help with the wheel? <laughs> it's you need th- help? We're doing a trap for law enforcement. <laughs> Is it a trap for me? No, you're good. <laughs> I'm good? You're good. Do you need help with the wheel, It's though? a trap for law enforcement. <laughs> for me? No, you're good. Oh! <laughs> well, that meant that Ivy just had to keep waving people off. Get oh, away
2: get from me! Go- I'm good. I'm Get away!
1: <laughs> that Ivy's a real asshole. I tried to help him with his fucking tire, and he said I wasn't even good enough to help him. <laughs>
4: But just after 9 a.m., though, the posse heard the high-pitched whine of a Ford V8 coming down the road. Now, Hamer had never actually seen Bonnie and Clyde in the flesh until this moment. But Ted Hinton, who knew Bonnie from her waitress days, he ID'd her as soon as they were in sight. And as predicted, when Clyde saw that it was Ivy Methan on the side of the road, he slowed down to see how he could help. It was at this point that Frank Hamer stood up and was just about to give Bonnie and Clyde the chance to surrender. But Bienville Parish Deputy Prentice Oakley was understandably a little jumpy. Yeah. Given how many times Bonnie and Clyde had escaped and how many cops they had killed while they were escaping. Mm -hmm.
1: Understandable.
4: Oakley was also a crack shot. So, with no prompting... Oakley squeezed the trigger and sent a spray of bullets flying towards the car. One entered directly into the side of Clyde Barrow's head, killing him instantly.
1: I I really thought you were going to say, and then he lived for another eight months. Uh, (laughs) They were back on the road. He went back to school. He became a barber.
4: (laughs) Wow. The men present said that the scream that came from Bonnie's mouth immediately afterward haunted them for years. Oh my God. But it was too late to stop. As soon as Bonnie screamed, Clyde's foot slipped off the clutch and the Ford started slowly moving forward. It was at that moment (sighs) that everybody opened fire. (sighs) It's fucking crazy, dude. In 16 seconds, the six lawmen pumped 150 bullets into the car. They ripped Bonnie to shreds. Then, when the car stopped, Hamer walked up to the vehicle, opened the door, and fired a few more shots in the bodies just to make sure. Wow. Ted Hinton said that when they opened the doors, Bonnie and Clyde's bodies looked like nothing more than wet, red rags.
1: Wow. 16 seconds ends this whole crazy tale. And not a goddamn
2: one of the cops helped Ivy Metham put the wheel
4: back on the car. They didn't help
2: the
1: goddamn (laughs) guy with the wheel. Can one of
2: you guys help me out? Like, hey, oh man, you asked me earlier. You wanna come help me with your car? <laughs> Fuck you! Abby. you, come for you
4: then, huh? <laughs> so almost immediately, Ted Hinton started filming the scene. A reporter had given him a 60 millimeter movie camera for when he finally got Bonnie and Clyde. And Hinton had been carrying around this movie camera in the trunk of his car for 17 months. Wow. Among Bonnie and Clyde's personal effects were three BARs. Two sawed-off shotguns, almost a dozen handguns, 2,000 rounds of ammo, 15 license plates, suitcases full of clothes, makeup, fishing tackle, roadmaps, a book called The Saga of Billy the Kid, true crime magazines featuring stories about themselves, and a saxophone. Holy shit, it's the
2: entire writer for the E Street Band. Isn't
4: that interesting? (laughs) Oh my god. Frank Hamer took the guns so he could sell them to true crime memorabilia collectors because that was already a big business. And he took the tackle box for his own personal use as payment for a job well done.
1: So he just wanted lures out of the thing? Lures. This whole thing was a large plan for him to get lures? (laughs) Lures and the guns.
2: Yeah, but he also, this is just... You've been hunting these dudes. Yeah. You've been dressed as a plant for three weeks.
1: He's never never
2: dressed as a
4: plant in (laughs) the swamp. He made love to that man (laughs) pretending to be a woman.
1: (laughs) I do like that he, no, I mean, we don't know if he, see, that's the great thing with just saying stuff.
4: (laughs) But Bob Alcorn, he took the sacks. But he later felt guilty about it and returned the sacks to the Barrow family. Interesting. Now, word had spread fast in Bienveil Parish that Bonnie and Clyde had been killed down the road. And pretty soon, souvenir hunters showed up trying to pry bullets out of tree trunks with pocket knives. One dude even tried cutting off Clyde's ear and his trigger finger, but was pulled back by the cops on the scene before he could do it. The most morbid thing that a few of them managed to get... Was a lock of Bonnie's bloody hair.
2: I feel like this is a Ooh. fun answer to how many times we've done interviews with journalists and shit, where they ask, "So why true crime now?" <laughs> where you're yeah, like, exactly. "It's uh, been worse than yeah, this. Yeah, actually, it's it's we just do
4: podcasts. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We wow. just laugh and joke. No, people used to go and try to cut the fingers off of dead criminals so they could put it on their mantle. That what
1: do you is- do with the trigger finger though? That's just disconnected from a body. What do you do with it? Look on it. it. Yeah. You look at it? You pickle it. (laughs) You pickle it. Okay.
4: (laughs) By that afternoon, the car with Bonnie and Clyde's corpses still inside was towed to the nearby town of Arcadia. The only hitch came when the tow truck broke down in front of an elementary school (laughs) right
1: in the middle of recess. I was, it's corpses. Yes. If all three of us were on that il- uh, elementary school playground, we'd be like, "This is the best, is
3: this is the best
2: Look, I got blood on me. Oh my I'm god, covered I'm Henry, in blood. I mean, You got the
4: blood. Somehow, the cops weren't able to stop a throng of children approaching the car, and one of the more curious kids just reached up and pulled the sheets right off of the body.
3: Cool. Oh my god, love, Honestly. Just all these kids. Ah!
1: Ah! I'll show you guys. (laughs)
4: Getting the bodies to the funeral home was even more of a chore. Within hours of the ambush, 16,000 people had gathered in this town of 3,000. And the undertaker had to walk out and spray them all with embalming fluid to get Get. them to back up. I tell you what,
2: that's something I've always wanted to do.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But although the two lovers were inseparable in life, Emma Parker made sure that Clyde did not have Bonnie In death. Uh, And so the two of them were buried apart. 10,000 people showed up to Clyde's funeral in Dallas, where he was buried with his brother Buck in the shadow of a shared tombstone. But that was nothing compared to Bonnie's funeral. 20,000 people showed up to see Bonnie get buried. Wow. Bonnie and Clyde. No,
1: was this in celebration or in grief? Uh, was curiosity, it curiosity? Like, hey, they're it was, done. They're done.
2: It was. It was respectful. Okay. Yeah. It's a big moment at the time. They were. They were massive symbols right, at the right, time. Right, right, both. Right. Uh, and it's hard when you're like icons can be neutral. I think. I yeah. think that there's there's a part of it where they obviously they, they, the story be, is done. They're terrible criminals. Yeah. But there's something about it that meant something to the country. And so when they they died, there's a little bit of when you're living vicariously through them and your romantic fake idea of their freedom also dies. And it shows like – and a part of it, I I think they almost encourage people to show up to these funerals being like – This is what happens when you become a bank robber. You Mm -hmm. get shot 150 times and get turned into mush. But while Bonnie and Clyde were the first of the
4: celebrity criminals to die in the 30s, they were by no means the last. By the end of that year, 1934... John Dillinger, Pretty Boy Floyd, Babyface Nelson, and the whole Barker gang were all dead wow. at the hands of law enforcement. Wow. It was like it was the kickoff where it's like, all right, we're not even going to pretend to capture these people anymore. We're just going to fucking kill them.
1: Right? They're like the the Wild West is dead. We will see to
4: it. That's yeah, what they're basically. trying to do. Right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And as far as Henry Methvin's pardon went, he got off scot free for his crimes in Texas.
1: He's the one who shot the cop. He's yep.
4: the one that shot the motorcycle cop.
1: But and wasn't he still a prison escapee, um, Henry Methvin?
4: Yes, but it was a but he got a pardon for all of his crimes, all of, all of it. Okay, all of it. But that pardon deal didn't extend to Oklahoma because Methvin went down for the murder of Cal Campbell. Because remember, right after they killed uh, the two motorcycle cops, they went up to Oklahoma yeah. and killed a guy up there, and the pardon deal was only with Texas. So oh. they were like, "Yeah, you got pardon, but uh.
1: All right, we're taking you to Oklahoma. It's like what's happening with Paul Manafort right now.
4: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah, they wanted to get him. Yeah. Yeah.
4: But Hamer still came and testified on Methvin's behalf because a deal was a deal. You help me out, I'll help you out. That's the way it goes. All right. Methvin served only eight years and got parole.
1: So he murdered two people and got eight years after a prison escape?
4: Yep. Yeah. Not bad. And then died a few years later after he passed out drunk on the train track and a locomotive cut him in half. Well, that's
1: that was called, bound to happen.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's called going from a 12-incher to a
4: 6-incher. <laughs> W.D. Jones, he lived until 1974. No shit. Yeah, he even did like an interview
2: with Playboy magazine in like the early 70s. It's an interesting read yeah. because it, it's him talking about back in the day and how it, it, I, I that's a cool time period in the 1970s because people like Charlie Chaplin were still a lot, like those things yeah. Where yeah, they, that yeah, bleed yeah. over from a truly a Different. middle period of the American timeline. Right. I mean, like all of this was like the, now that all those people are gone. The well, thing is about W. D. Jones, though, is he was
4: shot to death by the boyfriend of a woman he'd taken home from a bar. Wow! That's how he ended his life. Oh my goodness! And uh, Joe Palmer and Raymond Hamilton, they got sent to the chair for completely separate crimes outside of the Barrow gang. They were oh. cruising
2: for it, though. Yeah, oh, they, were so. just, they were just.
4: they was just. They were going to end up in the chair eventually. Okay. Most of the Barrow and Parker family, though, they ended up doing time. For harboring known criminals. They had got anywhere from a few hours to... Some of them got two years in prison. Okay. Cume and Emma, uh, they both did a month each. Hmm. Really, it seems like the only kind of sort of happy ending when it comes to the story involves the infamous Bonnie and Clyde death car. Thank you. (laughs) It's like Herbie the love bug. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well see, since the car was stolen, it was returned to the original owner in the condition in which it was recovered. (laughs) That's great.
1: Thank you so much. It's like the big Lebowski.
4: (laughs) And since it was useless for driving, the owner rented it out to a guy who called himself the crime doctor mm. for $150 a week. Hell yeah. And the crime doctor took it to county fairs throughout America for years afterwards. I
1: wish Charles Manson would have just married star. We'd see a, we'd see a- Fucking stuffed up a taxi derby Charles Manson just in a a glass car. I don't understand why he was against that plan. It is the way
2: serial killers (sighs) should go Uh. out. The idea of making him a sideshow would have been fucking incredible. We could have opened for him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the
4: crime doctor, he even took Emma and Cumi on a tour for a time with the car, which is a little weird.
1: A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The whole thing is a little
4: weird. Yeah, the whole thing's a little weird, but... The car eventually got a permanent home at Whiskey Pete's Casino in Prim, Nevada, where it can still be visited to this day. What a beautiful town that must be. Prim, Nevada. Whiskey Pete's. Wow. I love it. All right. And that
2: is the story of Bonnie and Clyde. Goodbye, love. Ep- Goodbye, tenderness. Goodbye, Bonnie and Clyde. They're in the sky being stupid
1: <laughs> on the other side. Robin, Robin, God's banks. And that is awesome. What a tale. Yes, yeah. And a special thanks
4: to everyone who helped out on this episode, including research assistant Rachel Hsu and Carolina, who is invaluable with the gang and Frank Hamer research. All right. And if we may have a 30 second profanity free segment. Starting the clock. Now, I would like to thank my niece, Kelby Parks, who did the legwork on the G. McMean story. And she's already a true crime nerd in training at 12, despite having no idea what I do for a living. So thank you very much, Kelby. Her father is allowing her to listen to this 30 second segment of the show. You did a good job, Kelby. It seriously is. Read, go down together. Because, like, we weren't able to cover even half of the story in this series like this story this story truly is is actually crazier and more intense Mm. and more complicated than even than we were able to really cover
2: did you ever read the book dahlgren no dahlgren is an is a hallucinatory sci-fi book from the 70s that reminds me of this whole story where it is there are so many alleyways and it's a if we talked about it last episode where it's like this kind of fever dream that you're caught in mm. where their exploits were. It's so interesting. Like when you read go down together, you feel like you're with them. Yeah. Like you feel like you can, what it's like to be on the road. Like it's a nightmare. Like they're, they're part of it. That's really scary for me. Obviously they did. They deserved it entirely. Yeah. They deserve to be hunted. But that feeling of like, you can't go anywhere and you can't do anything The shit, but you can also see how it's also brought them together. Cause they were the only people that understood What they were experiencing. Nobody else in the world knew what Bonnie and Clyde were going through, but Bonnie and Clyde.
1: Right. Absolutely. Um, All right. Well, that was awesome. Little history lesson there. So we got a bunch of shows coming up. We're we're right now. Obviously, we're in beautiful Australia. This tour has been dope. Thanks for everyone who came out to our show in Perth. Adelaide was so awesome. Uh, We're excited for Sydney, uh, Melbourne and Brisbane. It's going to be completely dope. And then we will be in California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my I, my contact just fell out.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go to lastpodcastontheleft.com uh, dot com for all of the shows uh, that we yeah, have coming up in the next year. We're going to Europe. We're coming to California. We're coming to the Midwest. Uh, we're coming to you know the New York area, New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, all kinds of fucking places.
2: Man, I can't believe we're doing a casino show in Atlantic City. <laughs> I am
1: so excited. It's like ridiculous.
2: It's gonna be fucking weird. It's gonna dude. be real weird. I'm really excited. I'm gonna. I am. I, that is the one time I will gamble. Can you play blackjack with me, please? Oh, of course. And roulette. Oh yeah. Okay. No, I'll go with you on a casino adventure in AC. That's a one. That's a one spot. I'll do it because it'll be a little dalliance. But I don't like. I like spending money on things I get.
1: No, but when you spend money, you can actually get money at a casino.
2: I. I you can. No, I am bad at gambler. I am bad
1: gambler. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We love you. Without you, we don't exist. Um. So hail yourselves. Hail Satan.
2: Helgin Magustalations. Hail me. And honestly. Come to goddamn Australia. Come to, come uh, to goddamn yeah. Australia. We're having a fucking blast. It's Seriously.
1: Great. It is so worth it. It is just a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. After you get over the uh, the time change, which makes you feel like... Uh, oh, I still
2: know. feel like I'm tripping balls all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goodbye. Bye.
1: This show is made
2: possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.